The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? It's uh, My Take Radio, episode 238 for Thursday, April 7th, 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, I call a number 347-324-3541. You can also use our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, really pumped for this week's show. We got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Ben's going to be stopping in to talk a little MMA this week. Of course, uh, the, the incident with John Jones and Daniel Cormier is going to be a topic of great debate for the next couple of minutes. Um, I'm sure Ben has his take on it. And I'm sure our listeners in the chat are going to have their take on it as well. So we're going to get into that. As always, if you want to participate, 347-324-3541. If you want to address anything during the MMA segment or during any of the other segments this evening. All right, so this week's episode, pretty big for a couple of reasons. Um, first up, uh, we got new content on the site. We got a new, brand new Buried show from Quark and Blade. Plus, we got a special Buried spotlight that they recorded uh, regarding Alberto Del Rio. We're going to share that. It's kind of an in-between episode, so to speak. So we're going to be sharing that later on tonight as well. And you guys can check that out, have a few laughs, and support those guys. Uh, make sure you follow them on Twitter, of course, at QuarkMTR and at John U. Butler. Those guys are putting in some good work with The Buried Show. Definitely uh, growing into it quite well, and I'm sure you guys are definitely enjoying it. I know the, the numbers definitely don't lie, so congratulations to those guys. And um, before I get into anything else for this week, before we get into uh, the, the stuff we got on deck and everything, I want to get into what's going down next week. So next week is episode 239 of My Take Radio, and um, not a big number, not a number that jumps out, but uh, we're deciding to announce our big hush-hush project on air on the 14th. Now, I've kind of been teasing it on and off over the last couple of weeks, and um, you know everything is kind of coming together now, and i got to sit down and get with the staff and announce it fully to them before of course announcing it to you guys but i will say that everything you guys know about mtr everything that that you've come to love about mtr will be changing 
and all of it will be changing for the better. Uh, this is going to be a change not only in terms of on-air content, but also in terms of just overall presentation of the content we have currently going on. Every aspect, every facet of, of stuff that we cover on the site, most of it based on my interests, is definitely going to change for the better. I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to appreciate it, and you're going to like where things are going, they're, where they're going to go forward. And as, You know, the thing with this is it was... There were a lot of moving parts to bring this whole big project together, and luckily it's starting to tie itself together quite nicely. So uh, we're going to make the announcement on the 14th, and once that's announced, we will share uh, some other pertinent dates that you guys need to get uh, note on your calendar. Also, I am pretty much almost 95%, I want to say 95% certain that come September, um, MTR will probably be going twice a week. Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays, uh, Wednesdays covering wrestling and MMA, and Thursdays covering gaming and entertainment and some of the other stuff that comes in between, um, unless, of course, schedules change for whatever reason, we're probably going to be doing them twice a week, not three hours, that's for shit sure, <laughs> uh, probably uh, 90 minutes, maybe two hours tops, we'll, we'll see how that goes, I think um, that's probably going to be the direction going forward, and we're going to start probably dealing with that in September. It's probably not going to be that first week of September post Labor Day, but probably the week after we're going to start working on doing shows two times a week. Uh, maybe I'll bring Ben on board, schedule permitting to do some stuff on the MMA side. And of course, uh, Jay and Cork and Blade and, you know, Slick, of course, they're going to probably be jumping in with me on, on some of those uh, two time a week shows. We'll see how that goes. But uh, that announcement I can definitely tell you guys. So, um, very happy to report that we're going to be doing that. And this, like I said, is a twofold thing for those of you that didn't know about it. Uh, number one, just time constraints. Time constraints have been a huge, huge crutch for me. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you're editing three hours of video and sometimes four hours of video. You got to cut some stuff out. You got to put bumpers. You got to put a whole bunch of stuff. You got to make it look nice. Then you have to render it, which rendering it even with this brand new computer i built when it's three hours of video is still uh rendering in real time so a render of a show takes three hours again a lot of insider shit that you guys don't care about but i figured i'd let you guys know that that's one of the driving forces behind that also um i think it just allows us to get out some more content be a little bit more focused uh give you guys some more stuff twice a week and like i said we all we we have ancillary content which is going out uh, at a mile a minute between MTR behind the mic, MTR beyond the mic, uh, the buried show. We're going to try and go a little bit more aggressive with the minority film reports. We're going to start doing those again, hopefully uh, later on this year, once we get a schedule in place for that stuff. And, um, you know, that's part of that's part of the whole big process that we are doing. So, again, just just really excited for this next chapter where we're going to go with all this stuff. And, um as always, you know, we welcome your feedback. We're always looking to hear from the listeners. I know that Facebook has crippled our engagement, and we're trying to find ways to remedy that, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, especially because as the, as the months pass, it just feels like we reach less and less of you on Facebook. And Google+, Plus. not too many of you guys like using it, obviously, uh, part of it because of your disdain for Google, others because you guys just really don't like Google+. And Twitter, well... Twitter has its own set of challenges. 
Uh, one other thing I did want to mention, uh, we got a lot of stuff from the Sweet Sweet event, and, um, you know, we, we did some giveaways. We did do some giveaways online, and um, if you can see in that corner, there's some stuff that we're going to give away. Uh, I, still, I still got this, this raving, this Rabbids uh, Plunger Blaster, which, um, as you can see, does a litany of crazy sound effects, and I couldn't find a way to give this give this out via social media this week just because we still had some stuff and I managed to get rid of a lot of stuff and give away a lot of stuff but there's still a couple of things left I still got some Minecraft guys um, I think I got some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you could probably see one uh, back there and a few other things so we're gonna try and get that done uh, within the next couple of days hopefully the remaining stuff I, I tried to give away some stuff via Twitter and that worked okay. Um, it, you know, people, they love free shit. And just trying to come up with some good rules and trying to organize it better. But um, we still got stuff left. Like I said, I still got this plunger blaster. So uh, maybe we'll give it away on air if somebody calls in tonight with something uh, something good to add to the show. Maybe we'll award them that uh, Rabbids Invasion plunger blaster. We'll see what happens throughout the evening. I know that um, last week I, I definitely got a throw an apology slicks way because i was supposed to bring him on we were supposed to do some stuff for the gaming segment and i just ran at 100 miles an hour and didn't get to bring him on so hopefully we can remedy that this week and there's some stuff we're going to address um, if i'm a little lethargic uh no monster this week a uh, couple of reasons uh number one haven't been uh sleeping well so figured ease off it for a little bit just to kind of regulate myself before i jump back in it got to the point where I was buying cases of Monster at, at uh, Costco and BJ's. So, and I got to thank Slick for that, too, because he's the one that told me they had them. So, again, that's, uh, that's pretty much all the business we got to take care of. Um, no monologue this week. Things were pretty quiet outside of the real world. You know, in Rich's real world, things have been a little bit uh, hectic. Um, of course, trying to get this brand new project set up for you guys. But uh, I will be seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this weekend. Uh, maybe I will have a review on MyTakeRadio.com by Sunday. Uh, if not, maybe I'll use it, I'll use it as an opportunity to do the Minority Film Report. We'll see what happens with that. We got a lot of great advertisers on deck too, which are going to start working with us in the next couple of weeks. Of course, MMA Warehouse, you're going to start seeing more of them. Um, if you've seen our videos, you know that Audio Technica is working with us. They provided this snazzy mic that I'm working with, and there's another mic that I'm also working with, which you'll be seeing reviews for that shortly, as well as some headphones. I still have the Monster headphones in the back. Um, once this announcement is made uh, next week, we're going to put together a really cool contest to get everybody involved, and we'll be able to do that as well. So I definitely want to give those Monster headphones away. First and foremost, I will be working on a review for them, and I'm also going to probably use them on air as well, just to test them out fully before doing a giveaway so just keep that in mind if you're chomping at the bit to win yourself a pair of monster uh ufc licensed headphones so with that said we got a lot on deck this week we got some mma stuff we got to get into so uh let's get the ball rolling and get into this mma and i know ben is probably going to be joining us shortly and we definitely have a lot to discuss so let's get that ball rolling
As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Make sure to check out all the banners for MMA Warehouse on MyTakeRadio.com. Hopefully, we'll be getting a promo code from them real soon that we'll be able to give you guys on air to save a couple of bucks on some stuff. But we're going to definitely be seeing a lot more of MMA Warehouse on MyTakeRadio.com and, of course, on air as well. All right, so MMA was a little quiet this week. It was one of those instances where I said if I were going to do the every other week of MMA, this would have probably been the week to do it just because of the stuff that was really just not uneventful, but not stuff that was truly newsworthy. But in any event, I did want to get into this a little bit because some crazy stuff went down this week, of course, with the build up to the UFC card with John Jones, Daniel Cormier, and that's going to be um, a topic of discussion amongst all the other MMA news. I see Ben is already queued up, so let me bring him in. Ben, what's going on, buddy? Welcome back. What a crazy, what a crazy week. We thought MMA was going to be quiet this week, and then, then the shit just hits the fan. So let's let's yeah, let's talk about the yeah. elephant in the room. <laughs> let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that is, of course, uh, the incident with uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones. For those of you that don't, that aren't familiar with the situation, let's uh, let's do the short version, which is pretty much John Jones. Daniel Cormier were at the UFC Media Day, and shit got real. So let's uh, let's toss it to you, Ben. Break it down for everybody, and we'll take it from there. Uh, well, basically, uh, they they did their customary, uh, you know, media tour uh, face off. Um, Daniel Cormier did not appreciate John Jones being that close to him. Apparently, yep. Uh, Shoved John Jones. John Jones responded by almost literally throwing the media guy dude out of the way, <laughs> and they started brawling um, on the stage. Like destroyed the whole stage, uh, throwing shoes at each other and punches. <laughs> it, it got it got real crazy. It did. It did get it did get real crazy. That it did. But um, what did you think? What did you think with that? With regards to that, what it did for the fight? I think it it, it brings a lot of uh, attention to the fight. I, I was confused when I saw a lot of people saying like this is bad for the sport. This happens in boxing a lot. Uh, well, yep. not not so much anymore, but it did a lot when boxing was doing really really big pay per view numbers for like Mike Tyson and stuff like that. Like people want to feel like the two dudes. Uh, not necessarily genuinely don't like each other, but there's some sort of animosity. And there's clearly some sort of animosity between these two, um, and I, I I think it, it it brings the sport into more attention. Like you know, you saw him on ESPN. I, I know John Jones was on Jimmy Kimmel show yep. like, last night. Yes, he was. I mean, it, it's getting the fight a whole lot of more attention than it was before this. Well, here's the funny thing, and and I'm glad you brought up the boxing situation because if if any of you are fans of combat sports, you know some of the legendary moments that have happened in boxing at media events, going as far back as the legendary Muhammad Ali all the way now to the present with guys like, you know, Floyd Mayweather, guys like Felix Trinidad. You know, there's always been incident situations, uh, the legendary Bernard Hopkins, uh, just to name a few. And and the thing is that there's there's a, there's a two, pretty much a, a two-step process. You got two guys that can sell a fight without having to resort to this stuff. Then you got guys that kind of come to a gentleman's agreement because they know that the bigger we make this fight, the more we get paid. Now, looking at the at the situation between Jones and Cormier, Jones was even though obviously there's animosity there, he was 
he did acknowledge a lot of good points about Daniel Cormier. He did speak about him positively in some instances. And, um, of course, on the other side, there's the theatricality of selling the fight. Do you, do you feel that the general consensus with regards to how the, the media is looking at this has looked at it the wrong way? Um, the MMA media, yes. I, th- I think some of the MMA media, it, it's, we're not at the, uh, the I, I don't know if I can call myself MMA media, but I think some MMA media has this real protective feeling towards the sport. Like anything that could possibly be viewed as negative, get away from the sport. And right. I feel like the sport is at the point where that, unless someone dies in the octagon, and even that I don't think stops MMA, but unless someone dies in the octagon, this is just a story of two dudes that don't like each other. Like, no one is looking at this from the outside, at least in my opinion, no one is looking at this from the outside and be like, well, look at those hooligans in MMA. Right. Like, it's just like, oh, those two dudes are fighting. I need to find out when those two dudes are fighting. Two dudes are fighting. And, and I think, um, I, I, I just think it's been looked at a little bit in the wrong way in the MMA media. Well, here's the funny thing with that. When, when, when people look at it and, you know, you see guys like Matt Hughes saying it's bad for the sport and, you know, all this crazy stuff, but, but here's, here's how it works. Yeah. Well, that's part of it, but you know what it is that, that shows the difference between, uh, the sport back then and the sport now, because the closest controversial thing Matt Hughes was involved in was GSP coming in there and shit talking him. And that kind of got the ball rolling back then with just blatantly just disrespecting, uh, potential opponents. I I felt that that was kind of like the turning point for MMA because dudes talk shit but I just mm-hmm. felt that when GSP did that, like, that was almost escalation, you know? Because if you look at the Pride days, like, when Vanderlei and Rampage used to get into it and, and all this kind of stuff, it was there. But uh, with Pride, it was also about theatricality. So it's, it's a different, different ballgame. Yeah, the MMA media, some of them understand. Some of them were really, really understanding of the situation. And they were like, listen, fights got to get sold. People got to make money. Maybe the guys hate each other. Maybe they worked it. Maybe they didn't. It's all here's how I see it. It's all dependent now on how the athletic commission views it because the athletic commission was pretty fucking pissed off and they were like, they're like, what the fuck is going on? And here's the thing that that a lot of people were saying. They were like, listen, if that was a if that was a work, you know, going going wrestling with that term, if that was a work, they mm-hmm. they definitely did a good job because the fucking stage collapsed. Uh, poor poor Scholler got tossed into the crowd. Uh, it was it was legit. When you resort to hitting somebody with a shoe, at the at the risk of at the risk of ruining your you know ruining a chance of a fight because think about it, he would have hit him with a shoe. He would have got a cut. You know what I mean? It w- it would have definitely damaged the fight. Yeah, like I, I don't think it would have worked. Uh, I I don't think I, I think they genuinely don't like each other. Like um they they've been sniping each other for a minute, and I, I feel like they're at the point now where they're ready to basically boil over and fight. Yep. And I don't, I don't think, I think that's just, they're just, that's just what they are. Like they, I think they genuinely just don't like each other. Well, we, we joked about the fact that before, when the fight got announced that you messaged me, you're like, yo, I am hyped for this fight. And then after that, you're like, dude, I am ready. And, and, and you're not the only one. I went to work the next day and dudes were like, yo, what the, they're like what this guy, one of the guys I work with, he goes, yeah, he, he likes to mess with me. He goes, yo, what's up with your man? What's up with your man with his sweaty pits hitting somebody with a shoe? I'm like, yo, leave leave DC alone. Leave him alone. He's he's still learning how to how to how to be a, a a superstar. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just comedy at its best. But that was the first thing I got when I walked. Up, yo, what's up with your boy? You know, D- 
did did um did John Jones tell him that KFC was better than than Popeyes because everybody knows DC likes Popeyes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a moment like I, I know I had friends who you know just um, existentially watching MMA and they were all like, "Yo, did you see that? You know the the brawl and da 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 da." And I think this is going to bring a lot of eyeballs. Yep, uh, absolutely to their fight that weren't going to be there. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of. I don't even want to say it's eyeballs. I want to say that there's so many. When 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 those guys got into that altercation and then they were on every media outlet in 24 hours, goes to show you. And that's where kind of like the orchestration comes in. And it's funny because Dana White wasn't there conveniently. You know what I mean? Like like why wouldn't Dana be there for the potent, one of the most one of the most um, highly anticipated fights? Dana's on vacation. Come on, son. <laughs> like that's what yeah, puts things I mean, into question, I you know. That, but I, I, I still don't think it was a work. No, I it, here's how the way I saw it was: it was a partial work, and then shit just got real. You know what I mean? Like, like dude was like, "Yo, I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna shove you." And I guess dude forgot, and he was like, "Yo, what the fuck?" And he just he just went crazy because they could have been that too. Like, "Yo, we're just gonna come out, have a little exchange." Maybe John Jones didn't like it. Maybe he felt the push made him look like a bitch, you know, or something. He just wild out because that's what it was. He really was trying to swing on him, which was crazy. I was like, oh man, he really legit took a swing at dude. And yeah, I felt they they were they they were they were really trying yeah, to fight. They were they were really that that's that's when you say to yourself, yo, that's that was legit because you know what it is. If it was more of a work, it would have been like a safer shot. Like John Jones threw a legit haymaker trying to catch him. I was like, well, damn. You know, and, and then you know John Jones being being the showman. You know, he was like ah, he was all hype. You know, and that was that was kind of cool. And the crowd just, I think the crowd did not know what to do with themselves at that point. They were like, uh, should we cheer? Should we run outside? <laughs> and I felt bad yeah, for Conor was, McGregor too, yeah, man. It was crazy. I felt bad for poor Conor McGregor. Dude's like, yeah, I'm just trying to come here and sell this fight with this dude. You, these and you two big motherfuckers gotta fuck shit up because <laughs> that's what it was. Like the look on his face was just a look of of legit sadness like shit i was gonna come in here and do what i had to do be the shit talker and yeah no <laughs> big dudes fuck me up hey well hey i mean more i was gonna be on his fight now so absolutely so let's um let's switch gears a little bit and, and we'll circle back to that i want to i want to talk about uh some of the other news this week uh so glover to and phil davis is officially a go um they're going to be co-maining the UFC event at uh, UFC 179 in Brazil, October 25th. And a uh, good fight for both guys. We talked about it last week. Uh, this is definitely a fight that will get both guys back on, on people's radar. Uh, the thing that gets me with this is that um, Glover Teixeira's striking was good. Everybody talks about how great his striking his striking is. You know, John Jones kind of put the kibosh on that. But then again, people, yeah. Phil Davis had, had got neutralized and in his fight too, so it's like both guys got to come back, and it's almost like redemption at this point for that fight. Yeah, um, to me, I mean, the main thing that I need to see is more from Phil Davis because I kind of, I kind of know what you're going to get from Glover Teixeira. Like from right. Phil Davis, I got to see him not get broken mentally, um, because he was broken mentally in the Rashad fight and <clears throat> Anthony um Johnson fight. Absolutely, and I feel like if a dude can stop his takedowns, he kind of. He doesn't quit, but you can kind of just see that he knows he's going to lose. And that, like once the, once the train starts going downhill for him, it's not it's not fixing itself. Would you Would you give Anthony Johnson the winner of this fight? Uh, no, because 
Only if it's Glover, because he already beat the hell out of Phil Davis. Right. Like, only if it's Glover. Right. Like, would you, would you, so I mean. Glover, yeah, but that's it. Yeah, because you know what it is? Everybody, everybody, all eyes are on, on Jones and Cormier, but it's just like Rumble, Rumble slowly, you know, putting himself in a lot of conversation. Now, a lot more people are talking about him. They're like, yeah, you know, that, that, that dude, he's, he, he's in there. And, you know, Dana tries to downplay it, you know, because that's just Dana not trying to, to go crazy. But, you know, Dana White is hype because he knows that he's got a guy that has explosive power and can get people. He, he's an instant highlight reel. That's the guy whose knockout you'll see on Sports Center on Monday, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing with Anthony Johnson is, I think, I mean, he's only had two fights in the UFC so far. They, they, they need to give him one or two more fights yep. uh, before you can legit say, you know, give him a title shot. And I think, you know, either Glover or maybe Gustafson, something like that would be the type of fight that you would give him. Uh, I know you were, you were probably upset to hear uh, one fight that got put to sleep, and that was the Abel Trujillo fight. Uh, he actually got injured. He was supposed to square off against Ross Pearson, but stepping in to replace him, Gray Maynard at UFC Fight Night 47. Um, I, I guess that's a good fight. I didn't even know Gray Maynard was still fighting. Yep. Um, I, I kind of thought he was retired. Um, it should be a decent fight. Uh, it would be interesting to see what Gray Maynard has left. I think last time we saw him, he was getting knocked out by uh, Nate Diaz. So yeah. it would be interesting to see what he has left in the tank because it kind of looks like his chin is gone. But, right. you know. It should be an interesting fight. Well, that fight is also, he's taking that fight on short notice because that fight is August 16th, and that's going to be on Fox Sports 1. So, you know, the announcement came rather early, and he's stepping in on short notice. I mean, considering what you just said, do you think that definitely the odds are against him coming in on short notice like this, or do you still feel that, that he's, he has a decent shot? Um, I, I do think the odds are against him. I, I think he's really going to have he's gonna have a lot of trouble Um with Ross Pearson. I don't know if Ross Pearson can knock him out because Ross Pearson has never been a guy that had, you know, crazy power, but right. you might not need to now because neither has Nate Diaz. His chin just might be gone. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. And it's funny because he was supposed to fight Fabricio Camoes, which looked like a pretty like a pretty solid fight on paper. Now this is definitely a bump up for him. And, um, you know, if what you're saying is true, you know, if, if what you're saying has, has weight, then, yeah, you know, Gray Maynard definitely has the odds stacked against him. I mean, I, I doubt we're going to see him in title contention ever again. I could be wrong, but I think that at this point it's going to be, you know, try and take a couple of exciting fights, and that's it. Get that paper and, and, and roll out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think his, his shots at the title were against Frankie. Uh, it, it, at this point, that's passing by. Well, on, on the subject of title shots, I definitely want your thoughts on this this wonderful story coming out of MMA fighting with Bellator. Um Rampage didn't want to accept a title fight against Emmanuel Newton. So Emmanuel Newton is defending his belt against Joey Beltran. <laughs> I, I, saw, I heard about this. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even I, put I into words. I Bellator too much because there's really nothing else they could do. But you could have found somebody better than Joey Beltran. You you could have found somebody better than so Joey Beltran. You couldn't uh, give the fight to Mo again. You know what I'm saying? Like like at least at least give him a fight that that can generate some interest and a payday. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like in in a sense I like what this new Bellator regime is doing. You know, basically they're they're on the the, the path to releasing Eddie Alvarez because they kind of feel like he was jerked around uh, by Beyond Redney, and they're they're putting together better cars and everything. But right. This is something they've got to do because they have no other person that he should defend the belt against right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
it sucks. <laughs> yeah, dude, I looked at it from like they were like Joey Beltran's fifteen and ten is his career record. He's one and one in Bellator. I'm like, I'm like Rampage. I'm always going to be a Rampage fan, but it definitely kind of annoyed me because I'm like, dude, a belt's a belt. Fight for the belt and call it a day. Maybe you'll win it, which will be good for mainstream exposure. Maybe you won't, and it'll still be an exciting fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I looked at it, and I was just like, really, dude? Knowing, and especially if you knew who his opponent was going to be, like, Rampage should have been like, yo, how are you going to give this title shot to, the, to a dude I beat? Let me, let, let me go in there and do the right thing. Business is business, yeah, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what Rampage's particular game plan is with Bellator. I, I don't think he actually wants a belt. I think he just wants to fight random people. Like, I, I think he just wants to make the most money possible right now. So, I, I, like I said, I don't really fault Bellator for it, but it's, it's, a, it's a shitty fight. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a shitty fight on paper, and it's like, what if Joey Beltran gets lucky and catches Emmanuel Newton and becomes champion, you know? Well, Joey Beltran will have a major title in MMA, and yep. that's ridiculous sounding. <laughs> yep, that's that's the insanity at its best. Well, you know what's funny? You got you got that Ram and, and Rampage, especially after what happened with him and TNA, and he's like, "Yeah, this is bullshit." And the way they were they were trying to book me, I'm not fucking with them anymore. I'm just gonna fight. And it's just like, dude, I'll be I'll be honest. Rampage probably would be a better wrestler, like a pro wrestler at this point, than a fighter. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to him and and, and his ability, but I just feel he's at the stage in the game like when Ken Shamrock went to the WWE, you know, all those years back, or Dan Severn, or or those guys, where their mm-hmm. their name and their notoriety is so well known that all they got to do is go wrestle a couple of times, get a couple of paydays, and that's it. Honestly, he probably would. He probably would be a better um, wrestler uh, than than an MMA fighter, but I, I don't think he wants to get rid of or to stop fighting i think fighting is his bread and butter and i think that's what he wants to do no and and you know in, in that respect yeah fight, fighting is his bread and butter but you know what it is he's become more of an entertainer than a fighter if, if you follow rampage on social media you'll see it's like dude is a straight up just entertaining dude like his his fight his fights are all are entertaining but he's reached the stage personally where if he transitioned to professional wrestling he don't got to cut weight you know, nobody's saying he's going to become a fat ass, but you know what it is? He don't got to cut weight, and, you know, the matches are safe. He can use his, his am, you know, his amateur wrestling background um, extensively, and he can probably benefit from doing it because at least it keeps him active. It gets him some real payday, some real money, and it might even open up some mainstream opportunities for him, which, you know, that's that's what they, the, a lot of these dudes are in for now, especially the, old, the older guys. They're like, yo, I'm going to build up my name. And then I'm going to start doing movies, you know, like look at Randy. Randy Couture is a great example of that. Randy Couture knew he was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done fighting, you know, like he's got Jim Rescue on Spike TV, which is coming out with him and Frank Shamrocks. He's in the Expendables. He's got a couple of gyms. He's got the clothing line. He's good, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, outside the fact that Jim Rescue show looks absolutely horrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you got to know when it's time to go. Yep. Um, and. Rampage might be at that point. Well, Rampage also wants to stand him. You know, he wants everybody to go out there and stand and fight with him. And it's just like, listen, people want to go out there and stand and fight with you when they want to when they want to create a highlight reel. Dudes that are trying to get titles and support their family, they're not going to come out there and play with you. And that's what I was thinking about before. It's like nobody's nobody's going to come out there and just be like, yo, I'm not going to wrestle you because you're Rampage and you want to stand up. 
I want to get paid and I want titles, you know? Yeah, no. Um, that's the way people think. Ain't nobody out here trying to just throw hands with Rampage. Nope. It, it serves you no purpose. Nope, you gain absolutely nothing because say, say you beat him. All right, I beat a guy that, you know, want, is, is a is a is a elite wrestler but has delusions of grandeur because he's got a couple knockouts under his belt. That's not to say that his hands aren't great. That's not to say that his hands aren't, you know, they aren't what they are, but it's just like you are, are your wrestling is what you're known for. People want to see dudes getting slammed on their head. These are the facts. Yeah. I mean, Rampage, I don't know, Rampage is Rampage is in a point of career where he might be better suited just retiring, but he has no desire to do that. No, he, he don't got it. So, uh, speaking of retirement, I'm glad you brought that up. I was um, a little bummed to hear that Mark Bocek announced he was retiring on Twitter. He was, uh, he's was he been 2-3 and three since 2011. He lost against Rafael Dos Anjos and Ben Henderson. Um, you know, I was a little bummed to see that. It's always a little disappointing to see when these guys just, they go on Twitter and they're like, yeah, I'm retiring. It's just so weird, you know, because you're used to, like, a big announcement from a promotion. Like, hey, this guy's retiring. Wish him best of luck. Dude's like, yeah, I'm retiring. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Mark Bocek was a was a good fighter. He was a really good lightweight. He he never had the athletic ability to really uh, be you know a champion, but he was a really good lightweight that uh, gave a lot of good guys problems. Um, it's us to see him Yeah, he's and you know what's weird? They announced that Koscheck was was hit was heading to the booth as an analyst, and I said, is that the end of his career too? Just because Josh Koscheck, you notice nobody's talked about him, hasn't been mentioned. No idea what where he, what what they're doing career wise with him. It's just very strange, and then all of a sudden he's just in the booth randomly. I think Koscheck is on the way out too. Um, especially after his last fight, how he got knocked out. He Koscheck has been losing stuff or losing a little bit for a while. It might be it might be time for him to go. And there's nothing wrong with you know moving him into the booth. Uh, he's been around long enough. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with ha- uh, with knowing what they're hanging up. Well, you know what's funny? When, when I saw that announcement, I said to myself, this is how you know that we're getting old because we saw these dudes at the beginning of their careers. You know what I mean? Him, uh, Kenny Florian. Uh, the mo- and it's funny because ev- almost every one of those guys is gone or retired or whatever going on to other ventures. You know, we just got like Rashad. You know, Rashad is still hanging out. And, you know, we, even even his, his yeah, uh, you know. shelf life, you know, Diego. But I think Diego... After seeing a couple of his interviews and that 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 speech work that he got working, <laughs> I think Dane is gonna have to pull the plug on him fighting. Yeah, Diego's got the the slurred speech going right now. Yep, he's got a little bit of the slurred speech, and I'm like, listen, and and you know, Bernard Hopkins said this in an interview on Opie and Anthony. He goes, the best fighters, uh, not Bernard Hopkins, I misspoke. Um, Danny Trejo in an interview, he said, people that watch Floyd Mayweather fight think that Floyd Mayweather's fights are boring, and he said the best fighters are the guys that don't get hit. These are the guys that see the moves three steps ahead and don't get hit. It makes no sense shortening your career, shortening your life, you know, because because you you want to you want to pull the action hero shit where you get punched in the face and it doesn't hurt. Nope. It, I I said it on here and, and all the great ones say it. Don't get hit. It's a re- there's a reason Bernard Hopkins is boxing at damn near 50. Yep. And winning. He yep. doesn't get hit. Like, like, if you don't get hit, it, it's hard, hard to, hard to get the slur speech. It's hard, it's hard to, to be out here looking crazy. You know, having, having people when you get older not be able to understand you. Yep. It, it, 
And that's, I mean, a lot of things might happen to Floyd Mayweather after he retires. He might go broke. He he might end up back in jail for doing something stupid. Right. What he won't do is be with the slur speech. He won't be he a vegetable. Be enough of that. He won't be a vegetable. He won't be. He'll he'll be able to spend time with his children. He'll be able to remember what he had for breakfast last week. I mean, a, a prime example of that, and it's not even fight related. Brett Favre talked about that when they tried to get him to come back and play, and he was just like, "Yo, I don't remember what I had for breakfast two days ago." And that was, Ooh, and I mean, that was, he, and that was the craziest yeah, shit I heard. There was an interview where he said he doesn't. There was an interview where he said he doesn't remember an entire summer. Yep. Like just doesn't remember a summer. Yep. That's not good. <laughs> not a good thing at all. Um, and I think a lot of these fighters so want to impress Dana that yep. they, they they put their bodies in a position to to hurt them in the long run. And you see the really good ones. Don't take a whole lot of damage. GSP didn't take a whole lot of damage. Nope. Um, John Jones does not take a whole lot of damage. The the really good ones, they're they're going to be fine when they get older. Well, you you know, I'm gonna go into into stories into into two stories that kind of they go into wrestling territory a little bit, but they're amusing and they're interesting because they shed some light on a lot of crazy stories. And um, for wrestling fans, they're gonna know that this week. Uh, WWE released a DVD and Blu-ray of Paul Heyman. Uh, Paul Heyman, of course, the mastermind behind ECW, Brock Lesnar's advocate in real life and on TV, um, an incredible talent. And a um, couple of funny things came out as he's been doing the rounds this week. Um, first thing that he was talking about was that he said that Lesnar and Fedor were was going to happen in 2012 when the UFC wanted to book Dallas Cowboy Stadium. Uh, Paul Heyman said that the fight fell through because Fedor's father passed away. How crazy is that shit? Um, I hadn't heard it was going to happen, but I heard it had fallen through for another reason. I mean, this Paul Heyman, so I'm sure he's more than to know. I had heard it, it fell through um, because of the whole M1 Global wanted to co-promote. Um, but, you know, if if that is the case, um, that is crazy. If that if that fight had actually happened, it, it's unfortunate that Fedor never made it into the UFC. It would have... Even though he, it would have been towards the end of his career, or at the end of his career, it sucks that he he never got that opportunity to to really be in the really big show. Well, you know what the thing was, it, I, and and I'll be honest, if that fight would have happened, dude, that would have been that would have probably been the fight that put the main that that put the UFC over the top mainstream wise. Yeah, it, it would have been crazy to see. It would it would have been really well promoted. I mean, Brock Lesnar at the time when he he was until he got exposed was seen as an unbeatable force, and he huge pay-per-view numbers. So it would it would have been a big, big, big show. Well, you know, he, he was talking about that with Brock Lesnar, and he said that he, that Brock Lesnar, when he fought Alistair Overeem, um, he was like, Brock Lesnar wasn't sick. He was like, you just took a knee from a guy that was just a, 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 a monstrous human being. He's like, that's all it was. He's like, Brock lost, you know. It wasn't that he was still sick, but he had a clean bill of health at the time. He was legit. And, um, you know, he just ate a knee from a guy who, who was just a, a monster, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think there was his two losses. <clears throat> I didn't think there was an excuse like, oh, well, he's because I've heard people say that, like, oh, there was something wrong with him. No, he just ran up against two dudes that were better than him. Yep. Uh, Brock Lesnar has never really shown any propensity of getting hit. That nope. is not something he's good at. <laughs> every every training partner he's, he's had has hit. said that. That he don't like, he didn't like yeah, getting like Pat hit. Barry, um, I saw saw some interview with Pat Barry where they he Pat Barry was talking about they basically told him not to hit Brock Lesnar, like yep, not to. I forget how he said it, but like 
to not really attack him as hard as he would other sparring partners. Like Brock Lesnar just didn't like it, and and it's crazy he ran up against the dudes that were hitting him. Yeah, well, getting hit by Kane. The, I watch wrestling to this day, and I still see the scar under his eye from Kane. And it's just like, dude, you have to wake up every day and realize that there was a bigger, more dangerous, not a bigger human being, but just a more dangerous human than you. Yeah, well, there's at least two. You know? <laughs> there's at least two of them. That's, that's what I mean. But, like, like for Brock Lesnar, he, he probably has a lot of, you know, he has a lot of great stories. He's like, yo, I went into the UFC with, like, two fights. And I became their champion. I made a fuckload of money, and I was the man. He really killed Frank Mir. Oh, he almost, Frank Mir almost. Uh, Frank Mir definitely got killed in that fight. Um, I almost, I, I almost want to say that um, when Brock Lesnar fought, uh, what the hell is that guy's name? The guy he he beat via choke, and I feel terrible not remembering his name. Um, um, what did Heath Herring? Because he just beat up Heath Herring. Oh, he stole uh, Heath Herring's lunch Carl. money. Shane Carwin. Yeah, when he choked out Shane Carwin, I said to myself. Oh my God! Brock Lesnar learned submissions. It's the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> he learned the simplest one: the big like flex his muscle on your yep. neck. <laughs> well, it, um, you know, uh, it's funny because Paul Heyman. They asked him, of course, about CM Punk. Uh, Paul Heyman having a having a great relationship with CM mm-hmm. Punk, and they were like, "Oh, you know, with CM Punk fighting MMA," and he said, um, "You know, he CM Punk was a fighter that became a wrestler. It wouldn't be a, a shock if he was a." If he decided to do it because he's a student of the game, um, you know, he's a fighter at heart. But the thing is, at this point, with a guy like CM Punk, uh, you know, if he made that jump, he would probably fall into the mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar camp because it'd be very easy for the for any promotion to get a payday off of him. But to jump into the game this late, it's not always good. I mean, Bobby Lashley, who's in TNA as their champion right now, he's fighting for Bellator in September. And I said to myself... If you let your champion go out there and he fucking gets his ass kicked, then you just basically clowned your champion in a real sport. Like, that's very, very dangerous, you know? Yeah, and this is actually somewhat likely to happen to Bobby Lashley. <laughs> he fight before. Uh, not super impressed. Um, I mean, how old is CM Punk? Like, almost 40? I think CM Punk is, I, I, I want to say he's 36. Okay, well... I, I, I kind of feel like if he had started in his twenties, right, he would have been good. Right, but it's, it's late in life. Like, I mean, I've seen him wrestle. I mean, uh, he, he's a good athlete, and he looks like he can do some things. But it, it's kind of late in life to kind of be kind of doing it. Like, I mean, I could see him getting some regional fights. Maybe ended up on a Bellator or a World Series fight or something like that. Right, probably not to the UFC, but. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these wrestlers, same thing with Bobby Lashley. I feel like if Bobby Lashley, right after college, had decided, okay, I'm going into MMA. Oh, he'd be a monster. He'd be uh, a monster, dude. Instead of being, huh? I said he'd be a monster. Yeah, yeah, same thing with Bobby Lashley. I think Bobby Lashley, right after college, would have been better. But some of these dudes that come from the WWE or, or wrestling and go right into MMA, it doesn't work out. Um, nope. I, I, I just don't see that working out to to being really good for him. I think it would be a good payday for him, but I don't think, you know, if he was legit trying to win uh, fights, I don't think that would really work out well for him. Listen, I, I was, you know, I, I was a, a martial artist, you know, most most of my young life. And when, when MMA started really getting to it, I remember I went to Ray Longo's school. Um, I got I got actually trained for a couple of sessions by Luke Kumo. Remember that? That guy, that guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Luke Kumo. Luke Kumo I got, I got to train with. And, um... 
it was it was weird because I said to myself, yeah, you know, maybe if I if I come in, I take a couple sessions every day, every other day after work. You know what I mean? I started getting those those crazy delusions of grandeur. Of yeah, you know, I could I could probably I could probably make a run, maybe do some local shit. And then I said to myself, I said, motherfucker, you are all. At the time, I was all I was almost thirty. I'm like, you are almost fucking thirty. The fuck wrong with you? You want to go in there and learn some stuff and and and, and you know for for yourself, great. No, no. Like if I would have, if I would have had that moment of clarity when I was like twenty five, twenty two, I, I I'd be I I'd probably be I I'm not saying I'm running out there doing shows, but I would have probably been I would have been disciplined enough that maybe it would have seemed a little more plausible than you know waking up at thirty years old, thirty two. Like yeah, I'm gonna make a run at this shit. It's like you better have great genetics and incredible, and and you better be a human sponge at that point. It better be like the Matrix yeah, that you better yeah, you better I mean, download technique into your head at that point. <laughs> I mean, just like you, I, I I've trained. Um, I don't currently, but I have trained, and and I thought about it, like, yeah, I can make a run. Nah, like this is not for everybody, and and that's okay. That we we get we get to watch it and talk about it. But I mean, <laughs> some of these some of these older cats yeah, that were wrestling yourself just because you're a good athlete doesn't mean you should go in there. I start trying to do MMA. It's, it's not gonna nope. work out for everybody. Nope. So I, I, it's a second week, and we get some what the fuck MMA news. Um, Josh Grisby, Josh oh, Grisby, <laughs> got arrested twice in four days for allegedly assaulting his wife. Um, the Middleborough police officer who they quoted from the Taunton Daily Gazette, uh, Richard Harvey, said that it is the worst case of domestic violence he has ever seen. The dude was released on two thousand dollars bail then arrested again that Monday on a similar domestic abuse charge. And um, he, the guy trained his pet dog, his pit bull, to attack his wife. How insane is that? She was chewed up and is being treated for some serious injuries. Um, the police had discovered that he was growing out. He had a pot farm, numerous weapons. Um, the guy's three-year-old son was sitting next to a box of unsecured guns. It, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, "What, man? It, it's crazy what you don't know about some of these fighters, man." I mean, I mean, I never thought really highly of Josh Grisby. I mean, he started losing. The, I think he lost like six fights in a row before they cut him or something like that. Yeah, it was but uh, four or five. Um, it was a bunch before they actually cut him. Um, it's it's crazy that you know these dudes, some of these some of these dudes are out here doing stuff like that, man. Uh, he's he's clearly about to go to jail. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, his career is, uh, if it wasn't already over, it's, it's definitely over now. So that's that's crazy, man. Dude, you sick the dog on your wife. <laughs> Apparently, he was abusing the dog too. Apparently, yep. he was choking the dog unconscious. Uh, from what I read today. Yeah, dude. So he he's just yeah he's just out here um just wilding out. <laughs> well, you well you want to know what's crazy, and I and I'm sorry to say this, and 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 you know if. If if people people are offended by it, dude, I've always thought that I'd hear a story like that about Junie Browning, dude. Because no, Junie Browning that's was not, that's not even outlandish. Because <laughs> Junie Browning has done yeah, for those who haven't heard the story of Junie Browning, I believe winning the, a fight in I think Thailand. Yep, and then coming getting out the cage and being like, ladies, line up in two lines, one for fucking, one for sucking. Yep, Junie Browning is insane. Yep, <laughs> so you know. I wouldn't be surprised if Junie Bonnie is out here <laughs> beating some women. Dude, it, it is it is crazy it is craziness. Um I got a 
three other remaining MMA news, and then I got to show you. Uh, I'm going to share a picture with you guys, and I want you to discuss it. Uh, first thing, uh, UFC Fight Night 50 has been finalized for uh, Friday, September 5th. Uh, that's going to be on Fox Sports 1. Prelims will be on Fight Pass. Of course, Gegard, Gegard Mousasi, Jacare is your main event. Overeem and Ben Rothwell, mm. um, Derek Lewis, Matt Mitriome, Joe Lazan taking on Michael Chiesa, and uh, Mike, uh, John Moraga taking on Justin Scoggins. Uh, first thing, uh, Alistair Overeem, obviously uh, training with Jacksons now, has said a couple of disparaging remarks about um, training with the Black Zillions. Just a, a very weird turn of events for Alistair Overeem, besides the fact that he's looking a lot smaller these days. Well, I'm not using steroids to do that for you. That's it. <laughs> maybe some TRT, maybe, on the DL. <laughs> I mean, I'm an Overeem fan, and I will be one of the first to admit he probably was using it one time. I won't even say probably, was using it one time. Um, but uh, it is kind of crazy, all the stories that are coming out from him, right. Black Zillions, and they're, them firing back. Because um, he got kicked out the gym for, like, blowing out some dude's knee. So um, it, it's interesting to see this back and forth from the two of them. Well, you got to, you know, a lot of people that don't know, remember all the shit with Golden Glory. It, it's like everywhere he oh, goes, yeah. you know, he always has beef with his camps. And, and it was funny because Jackson's, they were like, listen, you come in here, you train, you work with dudes, or you get the fuck out. So I think I think between you and I, this might be it for him. If he if he can't get it together in this camp, maybe he could go to another camp. Maybe maybe he'll go back to you know maybe he'll take some some Muay Thai fights or something, or, or they'll cut him loose. Like I almost feel like Overeem's kind of under the guillotine at this moment. I, I don't think he won his last fight. I don't think I don't think he's anywhere near getting cut. Um, you don't think so? But um, first, no, nah, I think he well, I think he'll beat Ben Rothwell. I don't think they'll cut him just yet. He he is extremely marketable. I mean, despite him being a complete tool, <laughs> he's, he's extremely marketable. Um, a, a huge dude that knocks people out, he's marketable. So I don't think they'll cut him yet. Um, but as far as his camp life, he, just like a, a, like a, one of my other favorite fathers, Melvin Gillard, you got to get the camp shit together. It's, yep. For him to be leaving camps and them all to hate you, all of them, it's, it's crazy, yep. especially with Golden Glory, who he was with, like, since he was, like, a teenager. That's right. And, and, and like, you know, you heard Bass Rootin, like, taking up for him up until he left Golden Glory, then all that shit come out about him basically being a horrible teammate. <laughs> so, hopefully he gets his shit together. And Jackson's a good place to do that, because Jackson has no problem kicking you out. Yep. They don't give a shit. They got dudes begging to come in there. So, it's like, dude... This is your one opportunity. You know what's weird with, with Overeem? He's probably the one guy who you would expect would try and make a run for Hollywood. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be an excellent, like... Yep. <laughs> like, uh, um, who do that play? Uh, Jason Momoa type dude. Just, yep. <laughs> just play really big uh, ethnic people. <laughs> well, you know, you know what's funny? If, if, if they ever decided to remake, like, like, Game of Death, he'd be good for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar role. Like, you go up there to fight, and it's just like, he oh, would. shit. Because he's just such a massive human being. He would. He, he'd be good for that role. Shit, he'd probably be scarier for that role, to be honest with you. Well, is a giant human being. Yeah, he really is a scary dude. But, um, yeah, I figured, I figured I'd share that with you just because the card looks good, and then, you know, Overeem being Overeem. It's like, it, it's, so, it's so weird because he comes over, everybody marks out, and then it's like, fuck, he just... He's, he doesn't live up to the hype. It's like what I've said about, you know, good baseball players coming to your local teams or, 
or good basketball players or good football players, as soon as they come to your team, they turn to shit. You're just like, yo, where did it go wrong? <laughs> well, I, I can point to where it went wrong for Overeem. Yeah. It's like abuse of performance enhancing drugs. That so, that was definitely part of it, and not and not getting used, not working on on adjusting to getting his chin checked. <laughs> that's something that's always been. Yep. Like since so, like his it's always plagued him. Started, yep. Like, it's always been a chin issue with him. So on uh, on the flip side, another card that's coming together: UFC Fight Night Fifty Four. Uh, your boy Brian Caraway yeah. taking on Rafael Asuncao. Uh, Roy McDonald finally taking on Tarek Safadine and Paige Van Zant fighting Kaylin Curran. Um, Paige Van Zant, uh, some people may know her. Uh, I believe she was a ring girl in a promotion, and of course, huh. uh, marketing her for this fight, you, they've used uh, you know some 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 nice photography to uh, market both of these ladies for this fight. And I said to myself, "There you have it, folks. It's like the strawweight season hasn't even started on tough yet." And you already putting these girls. <laughs> you already putting these girls on Front Street. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen they signed a, a few strawweights. Uh, they signed a bunch of strawweights. Yep. Or at least three or four. Um, <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to that fight. I'm looking forward to the. I'm really looking forward to the Charles Safadine, uh, Roy McDonald fight. Oh, that um, fight's gonna be a problem. Just, yeah, just to see if Charles Safadine can sink a swim with one of the better uh, fighters in the division. Uh, Brian Caraway fighting Javier Sunsell. You you know uh, that, absolutely. So what? I said that'll definitely happen yeah, for him. He's on the, yeah, yeah. Plus he was the last dude to beat TJ Dillashaw, so um, it that should be a good fight. Um, so it, it sounds like it's shaping up to be a good card. So the the last bit of uh, real news to wrap things up: Chael Sonnen basically told the Nevada State Athletic Commission to go fuck themselves, and that he's going to be competing at Metamorphosis Four this Saturday. Um, you know, he put a picture up and he's like, yo, gangsters got to go out there and do what they got to do. And you know, what's funny, a guy out there, a guy on Twitter posted, and I, I believe, I believe it might've been front row Brian. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it pretty mm-hmm. much, it was like, yo, how are you going to go after the guy for fighting in a grappling tournament? That's the equivalent of going after an NBA player for playing a pickup game. That exactly. Um, <laughs> they technically have no power over that. Like, nope. Uh, when I heard they, they were going to tell him he can't do it, I was like, that don't even make sense. He's not fighting. This right. is not a sanctioned, in, this is not an in-fact sanctioned event. He is grappling. So it, it, they, I think they were just being overzealous, especially considering how they acted towards him at the, the, the hearing, yep. like, you know, praising him and offering him a job. That's right. Um, so it, it was really strange to me. That and then be like, oh well, you can't make any money in the sport. Even yeah, I was fully in the sport. Like that's stupid. Like, I was like, yo, y'all are crazy. I was like, yo, y'all are crazy with that shit. And he straight up was just like, yeah, yo, fuck you. <laughs> he gave he gave no shits about it. And, and I agree with him. Like, there's no reason he should. Like, you can't do nothing to me. Like, you already said I can't fight. <laughs> there you go. But um. The, the, the next thing I'm going to share with you guys, and, and this goes for you and for everybody in the chat, uh, funny thing about social media, especially now that w- that it's become such a, a part of mainstream culture, um, it's a gift and a curse for athletes. Sometimes they get the athletes get themselves into some shit. Sometimes you gain, you gain some really interesting insight into their personal lives. So Chris Weidman, of course, on his Instagram, decided to have a little fun with Vitor. And um, ladies and gentlemen, Exhibit A... As you can see, Weidman said, Vitor, what happened? And did you switch from TRT to TNT? On the left, you will see a very muscular 
Vitor Belfort. On the right, you will see a guy who definitely doesn't look like the lion we all know oh so well. Thoughts? <laughs> um, I saw this actually right before um, I called. Um, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I like that he's pointing it out. Uh, and it's completely logical because he's no longer using Saints and steroids. Right. Um, Vitor is probably about to get his ass for but, um, which is great. Um, hopefully he'll go away after that. Um, <laughs> but it's funny that he, he literally looks like a different person. Yep. Like all that extra muscle is gone. <laughs> well, I like, I like the fact that, that Weidman isn't, you know, Weidman's not a guy that really goes out of his way to talk shit. Like Rockhold, Rockhold's probably been talking more shit about Vitor than Weidman has, you know? And Weidman I mean, just... Rockhold is furious. Oh, yeah. Rockhold's trying, to, Rockhold's trying to get it so bad. But the thing that I loved about it was the fact that Weidman didn't even go go hard. He was just like, ladies and gentlemen, Exhibit A, Exhibit B. That's it. Like, like it was almost like he just walked in, said his piece, and dropped the mic. That was I mean, it. He really doesn't... See, the thing, the thing with Vitor is you really don't have to try. Like, he has made it really easy for him to be a target. That's right. He was the one on TRT. He was the one who admittedly was on TRT. He was the one who said all this shit about, oh, if, if you want to complain that I'm on TRT, oh, you're whining, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Well, you're not on TRT anymore. Now let's see what the kind of fighter you are. And, and that's and that's the crazy thing. Like, you see that photo, and, again, you know, we joke about, we joke about all the stuff, but when you see the photo for yourself and you're like, Holy shit, that's a completely different dude. Like like what I was saying before where Overeem was definitely uh same thing, you know, he doesn't look it's not as dramatic yet, but this is right mm-hmm. on par with the picture of LeBron when he said he cut out carbs and he looks like a completely different <laughs> dude. It's like, yo, what happened? Yeah, I mean it, see with the carbs thing, that makes sense. Right. You ain't cutting that nuts diet except anabolic steroids. So <laughs> So I mean, yes, um, that's that's what happens, man. That's that's what happens. He he looks smaller. Overeem looks smaller in his last fight. His last couple of fights, he looked smaller. That's right. Than he did when he first came to the UFC. So, and way smaller than he did in Japan because he was freaking looking like a comic book character in Japan. Oh, in Japan, so, he, he used <laughs> to take those pictures with 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 like three Japanese girls hanging from his biceps and shit. <laughs> Just yeah, real he, extra he with it. He looked like a, a freaking superhero. Like it was ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you do get off the drugs, man. There you go, ladies and gents. So I figured I, I'd share that with you guys. Um, just to, just to bring everything full circle, uh, we got a full stacked month of MMA, um, for the month of August. We got a ton of great cards being put together. Um, I actually thought there was a card this weekend because I was like, shit, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go try and see the turtles and I'm like, I don't want to have to start scheduling DVR shit. But um, the bulk of the fights take over 16th, 23rd, and the 30th, of, and of course, uh, DC and Jones in September. So uh, definitely one of the better months. Uh, I, I have a feeling that probably at, at the by the time the Jones-DC fight comes around, the Gina Carano signing may be official. Hopefully. I have a, I have a feeling that, 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 that Dana White's going to blow the lid off of that. Um, with regards to the, to the fight itself, if he can get that done for December, we are we're probably going to be seeing back to back months of just huge paydays. Oh yeah, and especially if by chance Jones loses to Daniel Cormier, they're going to do a rematch. Oh yeah, it's inevitable. Right? And 
and it might be in December or it might be in the beginning of next year. So we'll, we'll be seeing a lot of good MMA in the coming months. Dude, all I got to say is to, to, to close that out, um, if DC beats John Jones and they do the immediate rematch, I think Alexander Gustafson is just going to burn his house down. He's just going to lose his mind. <laughs> oh, Gustafson wants that fight, man. Gustafson really, really, really wants that rematch with Jones. And I, I want to see it. it it's, it's great that John Jones has these foils. Even though I think he can beat both of them, they are both interesting foils. Well, I liked what John Jones said. He said, Gustafson is Frazier to my Ali. That's, that's a good thing. Like, he, that, you want that kind of dynamic. Like, that's right. Gustaf- you want that dynamic. You want it to be a back-and-forth, fun fight. Because like, John Jones was... Not that any other fights were boring. He was ragdolling he was dudes. Destroying people. Yeah, he was putting a beating. So, Dude, best highlight ever was him doing the spinning elbow on um, what the, on poor uh, what the hell is that guy's name? Uh, the dude that fought um. Logan? No, no, no. The spinning elbow that made the dude bounce off the mat. That he was from Tough. He fought um Forrest Griffin. What the oh, Stephen oh, Bonner? Oh, oh, uh, Stephen um, Bonner. Uh, it was his second fight in the UFC. Yep. Uh, Stephen Bonner. Yep. He caught him with that spinning elbow. Stephen Bonner bounced off the mat. I was like, oh, my God, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, man. That, and that was early in John Jones' career. That's right. That That's one of, dude, probably my number one highlight because you don't see that every day. Dude got caught with a standing people's elbow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, I remember, I actually remember, like, seeking that fight out because I remember, um, like reading about it somewhere, like this dude was just like suplexing Stephen Bonner around the <laughs> ring, spinning back elbow. I'm like, who the hell is this dude? Yeah. I went and watched him, I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a it was just a problem for all parties involved. I said to myself, listen, you know that just that's just not right. It's just not right at that point. <laughs> but um, one of that that's probably one of my all time favorite moments. So I figured we would uh reflect on that. But other than that, uh, wanted to tell you I I. I caught the tail end of your uh, your double H and D podcast yesterday. Uh, you guys definitely getting it together. Uh, there's a there's a couple things you probably which uh, you know I'll hit you up with off air, but you're hitting your stride, man. Definitely make sure to uh, look for Ben on Mixler. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. How does it feel, man? You're starting to get more shows under your belt. Feels good, don't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, there, there's like like you said, there's some stuff that we know we got to work on. Um, so technical issues that we just, you know, as we get, you know, more into it, we'll be able to fix them. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it um, it feels feels good, man. And and and, and um, just the second show, like I, I felt like we we were really we were better. You felt we comfortable. First one, so. Yeah, you guys sounded more comfortable, so, and you guys sounded more comfortable, and that you were hitting your stride. So I just wanted to to let uh, let everybody know, you know, the the double H N D podcast is getting it together. So um, definitely check it out. Um, of course, they can always find you on Twitter at Blackout89. Anything else you wanted to throw out there? No, no. For just you know, everybody, um, like we said, uh, uh, and I, I thank you for putting it in the show notes. Uh, just listen to the podcast. Any feedback is greatly appreciated, and uh, thanks, Rich. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. Um, don't don't go buying Nicki Minaj's Anaconda album. <laughs> <laughs> Negative, <laughs> uh, dude. Only only the album cover. It's like it's like I think I think we finally <laughs> that album cover is her Sharknado like that's it like it's the it's the it's the mainstream like this is how crazy we got to get to sell some music. <laughs> Basically, yeah, uh, the song is, is horrible. Yeah, it was it was it was bad, dude. It was bad. I I did I did um I did want to say I got a I got an email that they were doing a 
a concert. I forgot what venue here is doing a concert. It's Drake and Lil Wayne. And I said to myself, after that concert's over, you're going to be you're going to be possibly accosted by by sensitive guys in tight pants. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. There you go. All right, man. I appreciate the assist as always. All right, man. Thanks. All right, bro. See you. And that was Ben, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Blackout89. All right, so before we get into this week's uh, wrestling segment, uh, I wonder, oh, there we go. Uh, Blog Talk Radio acting a little funky. I was a little concerned we were going to have a call drop. It's been a while, and BTR has been on its on its best behavior, so uh, luckily it's not, and we're all good. Anyway, um, as I was saying, and, and you know, I mentioned it to Ben, uh, a lot of MMA on deck, 16th, 23rd, and 30th, um, I think we're going to start probably putting a calendar up on the site showing all the upcoming MMA wrestling uh, big milestone events so that everybody's kind of in the loop. And, uh, you know, when we do that, of course, we'll make sure to let you guys know. Uh, definitely thanks to Ben for the assist this week. Let's get into the wrestling news. And, of course, Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. Uh, My Take Radio's wrestling. Ooh, I almost said entertainment. Then I said MMA. Uh, My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code WWESAVE10. You can also find WWE Shop advertising on MyTakeRadio.com. Of course, uh, clicking those and completing purchases helps us out allows us to continue to make enhancements and updates to the show. All right, so Raw this week, especially with SummerSlam being pretty much two weeks away, was about as lackadaisical and shitty as you would have expected. Um, you know what's funny? I, I In editing the, the Buried show uh, with Quark and John Blade, I realized that there's a lot of... there's a, when, when a show is comp- not completely shitty... But when a show has a larger percentage of shittiness than most shows, it's very, very easy to hunt and peck every negative, shitty aspect of a show. And when it gets to a point where you're where you can gather 85 percent of your material in the first half hour of a broadcast, you know, shit is just going to go downhill. And it's funny because uh, the Buried Boys touched on a lot of the stuff that definitely jumped out first and foremost. I mean, even even I acknowledge some of it in the three R's of Raw that I shared earlier this week. But the first thing I want to discuss is the opening segment, the the obligatory Triple H circle jerk um, segment that pretty much is becoming commonplace on Monday Night Raw as of late. And the reason I want to talk about this is because, listen, I understand the authority has to come out there. They got to kind of set the stage for the evening. And it was almost a... Uh, Billy Mays uh, infomercial vibe with them plugging the network and it's $9.99 price. I mean, obviously, it got to the point where it was it was comedy. It, it was so comedic that everybody was running with the $9.99 gag. And even the announce team, you can see, had had just... They were cringing every time they had to plug it. And I understand, WWE, you're trying to clear a certain hurdle 
by um, getting more subscribers, but you're also becoming available in 120 countries. Uh, you know, so you're, you're going to get there and you're going to hit that threshold. It, you, you don't need to resort to this really terrible sham wow style uh, shitty infomercial vibe that pretty much opened the segment. I almost want to say that that segment sucked all the air out of out of the entire broadcast. Like, you know, sometimes you watch, you, you turn on Raw, and those first 15 minutes, if they're awesome, they set the precedent for the entire evening. In this instance, as soon as that segment was over, I said, this is going to fucking suck. You know? Uh, Slick Slick said it best. You know, the MTR Live blog had a, had a lot of laughs with the 999 line. And it's, it's, it's crazy that, you know, my, our team, they do the live blog every Monday for Raw, and it's, it's Slick, Jay, Cork, and Blade, usually because I'm still, I'm still working the, the, the real job. And, um, you know, those guys do a dynamite job, but it's true. It's, when, when it becomes that easy to just, to just get material out of a segment, it's, it's bad. It, it really is bad. And I understand, especially because, like I always say, I'm not a journalist. I'm, a, I'm an opinionated pundit. Uh, the fact of the matter is that it's easier to to find the worst in broadcast. But I'll be honest, when I started writing the three R's column, I wanted to find the best the best moment, and you know, throw out the occasional uh, cringe worthy moment as well. But this week, it was incredibly difficult for me to write that column. Even Kane and Roman Reigns match, which on paper you would think would be a solid match and a great and a great um a not a uh, not a coming out party for Roman Reigns, but definitely. Um, uh, uh, an improvement in skill working with a, with a veteran like Kane. A couple of things were wrong with this match. First of all, it was pretty much punch, kick, punch, kick. It was the equivalent of watching two people playing virtual fighter that don't know how to execute any moves, just jamming on all the buttons. That's what it was. And then when it finally started to hit its stride, the referee didn't, he, he forgot that it was a last man standing match. Like it just blew my mind that the referee forgot the, the fucking stipulation. Like Kane got knocked on his ass and he didn't start counting at all. It was almost it, it, even the referee punched out of that match, which was insane. You know, the, all, that's all they did. They just went in there and they were it was almost like watching re, UFC heavyweight standing in the middle of the octagon and slugging it out. It was it, it definitely didn't do Kane any favors and it definitely didn't do Reigns any favors. And even though it was. Um, a lead-in to what was going to happen with Kane and what's rumored to to, to going to be happen. Uh, that was terrible. What's rumored to what's been rumored to happen with Kane in the future? I do feel that the match really didn't do them any favors. While, like I said, it's leading to something. The match itself was just piss poor. I was I I really I the fact that I I didn't even stay engaged enough to to sit through the match. I went downstairs. I got my dinner, I came back upstairs, and, and by the time I came back upstairs, the match was, still hadn't even hit some of the big spots. So, you know, it's a 15-minute it's a match that was basically done to make Roman Reigns look good, but it was the, on the flip side, they, it made Roman Reigns look, it made both of them look very, very bad. Uh, we got a John Cena and Brock Lesnar hype video, which it was, it was crazy because... Watching that hype video, while there were facets of it that really did get you excited for the match, I've realized that Brock Lesnar is just a terrible, terrible promo guy. John Cena is going to be covered in blood, piss, 
and and vomit. It was it was um it was it, yeah it was blood urine yeah blood urine and vomit. But the way he said it, it, it took him a minute to try and come up with with something more more eloquent. I want to say. I mean, the guy was quote unquote cursing in his promos. You know, he was cursing in the promo, and then all of a sudden, you say you're going to leave him in blood, urine, and vomit versus blood, piss, and puke. You know, like 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 where who who wrote that shit for you? Like you have this guy, he's talking shit. He he's a, he's allegedly cursing based on the beeps. And it just it just made him look fucking terrible. It really validated the fact that Paul Heyman needs to do Brock Lesnar's talking forever. I'll be honest. Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar should only go out there and have matches. That's it. Paul Heyman needs to do everything else because Brock Lesnar's promos are god awful. Even this video package that he participated in, this uncensored interview horseshit i i just i just looked at it and i was just like really this is what we're going with because you you guys are alternating weeks about who's going to be um who's going to be involved via satellite this week it's almost like john cena and brock lesnar play rock paper scissors to determine who's going to be on the broadcast this week it, it was you know it, i understand and brock has limited dates and stuff but it, it, it like i part of it was good but Brock Lesnar's portion was shit. That's all I got to say. Damian Sandow squared off against the returning Mark Henry. Of course, they're in Texas, and Mark Henry being from Texas was a great time to bring him back. Um, the match was pretty much a glorified squash. Once again, um, you know, Damian Sandow continues to just have to do the job week in and week out. It was good to see Mark Henry back. I do feel that Mark Henry, um, his return to the roster is good. He can... He can definitely deliver good matches now in the later part of his career, and he still got he still got some gas in the tank. I would like to see at least one title run before he retires, but at this point, I think John Cena is just going to break Ric Flair's record, and that's going to have to do it for for that. I mean, uh, you know, Mark Henry, like I said, when he was in the Hall of Fame, uh, doing the Hall of Pain gimmick, that was prime time for him to be. Uh, a championship holder or a championship challenger, but instead they just went with the with the whole Hall of Pain shit, which uh, they just you know it was it was terrible. It, it was it was poorly mismanaged, and then now you bring him back. The crowd pop was good because he was a local guy, but after that it was just you know it it was formulaic. It's like oh Mark Henry's back, yay! Like that was it. You got excited when he came back, and then when the match was over, you're like oh yeah Mark Henry's back, fantastic. So, the stipulation for the Dean Ambrose-Seth Rollins match was going to be determined with a beat-the-clock challenge. A um, couple of things I want to get into about that, but before I get into that, I wanted to talk about the, the, what I deemed ridiculous in the three R's column, and that was Adam Rose and the terrible, terrible tie-in to WWE Films' Oculus. Um, it was just a shitty, shitty segment for a shitty fucking movie. And I'll be honest, I went to see Oculus, and it looked good. It looked incredibly promising. I sat through it, and I wanted the 90, I think it was 95 minutes of my life back because it was completely fucking terrible. It was a, a lot of shitty buildup, and then when they finally had the payoff at the end, you were so uninvested in the movie that you just didn't give a shit. I'm being 100% honest. You can you can look for the review on MyTakeRadio.com and see it for yourselves. 
but obviously they got to do the product placement, but it just looks so forced and so shitty. And Adam Rose trying to do it just didn't, it didn't do the segment any favors either. Anyway, as I said, Dean Ambrose, Alberto Del Rio in a beat the clock match. That was surprisingly good. Um, a lot of great psychology at work. Uh, Dean Ambrose just continues to impress week in, week out, week in, week out. Just a, a great match. Um, good psychology with the arm. Uh, the only thing that kind of took knocked it down a few punches, there were a couple of spots that looked a little, um, they definitely looked a little suspect. Um, a couple of punches from Dean Ambrose that really looked kind of shitty. But overall, probably one of the better matches of the evening. On the flip side, we get one good match, then we get a match that was exclusive pretty much for the WWE app, which was uh, Sin Cara doing the job for Rusev. Now, I don't mind the WWE app. I don't mind when you guys show the WWE network. My biggest issue is the fact that I understand that you want to get more eyes on the app, but you're also there to get advertising dollars and, and television revenue. And by having a match end on an app, it's it really just I feel that while it's good for people that have the app, I, I know very, very few people that do, you know, that do second screen on a real hardcore basis. Don't get me wrong. I keep a tablet or a mobile device close by, but it's, you know, for the quick tweet or the quick photo screen cap that I take and maybe post on the fan page. But I don't watch a program, uh, a movie or a show or whatever it is with with. You know, with my tablet directly in front of me, I see all these people that they talk about that they watch True Blood or they watch Breaking Bad or whatever it is with, um, you know, with that sort of uh, second screen experience. That's just not me. I know a lot of guys, they want to do The Walking Dead that way. I, I just I just don't see myself doing it when I'm watching a show. I want to be focused on the show. And that's it. I don't want to be distracted with the with the Twitter and, the, and all this shit. Yeah. Like I said, if I get a tweet and it's show-related or something, and, and it ties into what we're doing, then sure, I'll toss something out there. But otherwise, I just I can't do it. It really takes away, at least for me. So ending this match, I mean, it was a glorified squash anyway, so who gives a shit? But if you were basically going to do that match for the app, which was, you know, all of three seconds, and then have the, you know, the, the flag match um, buildup during the broadcast, you could have just as easily done that shaved off a few minutes that probably was going to be dedicated to another recap and that would have been it but unfortunately that's what we do we deal with the with the app matches now that's going to pretty much start being the standard the app matches you know i'm not a fan some people like it but i'm curious and i want to ask you guys in the chat how many of you guys legitimately consume content and are consuming that content with a um you know, with your tablet, like, directly in front of you or your phone or whatever, your laptop. How many of you guys are legitimately watching, you know, really doing the second screen experience? I'm curious because, like I said, I'm not one of them. I mean, I get distracted very easily as it is. I try to just focus on what I'm watching. But I'm curious, how many of you guys in the chat do that? How many of you guys watch Raw and have the WWE app running or partake in other second screen experiences? Definitely, uh... Share it in the chat because I'm curious. I definitely want to know. Uh, Mortis says, nope, I'll tweet during WWE, but I don't use the second screen experience. There you go. See, a tweet, something real quick. Like, you're not, you're not not watching the match. You're just a quick tweet and back to it, which is fine. But the second screen thing, I'm not a fan. 
Cesaro and Dolph Ziggler squared off in another very solid match. A lot of great spots from Cesaro. Cesaro looked really good in that match. I just feel that Cesaro is kind of treading water right now. Like I said, after um, his uh, his removal from Paul Heyman's stable and his kind of forced involvement with the authority, he, he's pretty much just spinning his wheels right now. I mean, he's going to continue to deliver good matches, and him and Ziggler had a tremendous match. I mean, they had a lot of great spots, and I really liked it. Obviously, the tie-in here was the continued buildup to Dolph Ziggler's match with The Miz at SummerSlam, and that was great too, but I really felt that Cesaro at this stage in the game should really be challenging for a second-tier belt, whether it's the IC belt or even the U.S. title, which at this point really isn't being used. I would have at least liked to have gone with something like that, but obviously you get you get more by giving us uh, Cesaro on the losing end of matches than anything else, which, again, just boggles my fucking mind. Goldust and Stardust took on Rybaxel for the 55,000th time in a very, very good match. Again, these guys have incredible chemistry together, but there's only so many times we can see these, these two teams square off before it starts getting redundant and boring. That's, that's pretty much it. I like Stardust. I, I think his character is really cool. I like his, his promos with Goldust. Even Rybaxel has grown on me. But again, we're being relegated to seeing the same matches. It's not like you don't have tag teams. Whether it's, you know, Slater Gator or um, the Wyatts or the Usos. There are definitely teams out there. I definitely, I always felt that Tyson Kidd and, um, what the hell's his name? Fuck. Uh, the Cape Town Werewolf, Justin Gabriel. Uh, Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel had a really solid tag team. Why they never did more with them. Even now, like they're doing more with them in NXT. But these are two guys that on the main roster would kind of fill out that tag team division a little better. And um, who knows? I think there's some rumors floating around of some call-ups from NXT, which I'll discuss later on in the segment. But, you know, the tag team division right now, you were doing such a great job with it, building it up so well. And now it almost feels like it's the same matches every week. Like I said, you have three hours of, of programming on Raw. You have an hour on NXT. You have an hour on Main Event. You got two hours on Sci-Fi. For, for you not to give each of your main titles and each of your divisions adequate focus, it just, like I've said, I've said it a thousand times, it trips me the fuck out. Same thing with Chris Jericho. Obviously, his feud with the Wyatts is going to lead to him fighting each guy every week and then fighting Bray Wyatt. I understand that, and I have no problem with it. We know that's where it's going. We know that's how the storyline works. But in the tag team division, we really don't know what the fuck is going on. We don't. We see these matches, and most times it's the same matches. Like I said, how many, time are, how many times are we going to see Stardust and Goldust take on Rybaxel? When, when, it's the same thing like when Cena was feuding with Orton. We got 17 different variations of that match until they had their pay-per-view match, which ended up being shit anyway. I'm just saying. Diego with, the, with El Torito and Summer, the Slayers, or whatever you want to call them, of course, took on Fandango. And the comedic portion of the evening was brought to you by Hornswoggle, who came out as Fandango's, I don't know, his valet, his um, his dancing leprechaun, whatever you want to call it. Just a really, really terrible match. And I feel bad for, for Diego, uh, number one, obviously, because his tag team partner is injured. But number two, because he is basically playing the role that low-key played during his NXT run with Lay Cool. You got this promising talent 
and you're basically using him for the at the expense of getting uh, Layla and Summer Rae over, much like Loki was used to get Lay Cool over at the time. I I just felt that. Don't get me wrong, Diego and you know the Ma- the Matadors aren't going to be setting uh, the tag team division on fire, but there's got to be something else you can do. Maybe put Diego with Sin Cara for the time being, or I mean, they're saying that Sin Cara is going to be paired with Kalisto when he comes up. But until then, maybe Diego and Sin Cara would make a decent tag team, have a little fun with that, at least for the time being, because Diego going out there trying to get over at the expense of Layla and the Bird, just it's it's really not working. It's not. On the flip side, I gotta I gotta admit the 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 mini feud between Bo Dallas and R Truth is is pretty decent. I don't think it's the greatest feud in the world because R Truth, he's 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 it depends depends on who he's feuding with. Sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's not. I felt that the match itself was it was okay, but it's gonna continue to be the same thing. R Truth gets the quick pin, and Bo Dallas goes crazy, and all of a sudden, you know that's pretty much it. The Bo Dallas gimmick, it it has there's something there. I don't think that it's that they figured out what it is yet, but there is something. The crowd is kind of into it. You start seeing some signs. It's just a matter of bringing it all together. And right now, it's pretty much, you know, T-Boeing and the run around the ring and the inspirational quotes. It's good, but it almost feels like something is missing from the gimmick itself. I think that it just needs that that little bit of polish to bring it together. I continue to stand by the fact that they should have taken, um, you know, Bo Dallas and put him with the Wyatts in, in kind of a, a brother love sort of way. Like, you have Bray Wyatt being super negative, talking about being the eater of worlds and opening people's eyes. And then you can just turn around and, and have, you know, Bo Dallas get involved and be like, you know, it doesn't all have to be darkness. You could just Bo leave. And, and you know, it kind of brings things together. It makes people notice that, you know, there's more to it than just him being Bray Wyatt's brother and being a knockoff of Tim Tebow. It's, it's, it's strange. Like I said, the, the gimmick needs a little seasoning and it'll really come together quite nicely. But for the time being, I guess we're going to be stuck with feuds between him and R-Truth and any of the other uh, mid-card guys that are kind of just languishing in the mid-card scene. But uh, at the end of the day, Bo Dallas is probably going to keep this gimmick for a little bit, and maybe either they'll repackage him or they'll put him in a tag team with somebody. I almost had a feeling that they were going to do it with him and The Miz, like he could be The Miz's self-help guru, just because when they had that exchange on Miz TV, it almost felt like they were going in that direction. Obviously, they did not, but that can change as well. But for the time being, we'll, we'll, we're, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach with Bo Dallas. I'm not a fan of the gimmick, but I hate his, I'll say this. I hate his gimmick less than Adam Rose's gimmick. Simple as that. So, Seth Rollins was supposed to take on Rob Van Dam in a beat-the-clock match. And, of course, the authority gets involved, and it was Seth Rollins taking on Heath Slater. Now, the funny thing about this match is that Heath Slater looked surprisingly crisp in this match. Him and Seth Rollins had a very, very good match, and I a lot of people didn't like it, and I talked about this in the 3Rs column, but I liked the way Dean Ambrose handled that segment. I really, really liked the way it went. I liked his real douchey 
over the top. Oh, I'm going to tear up your contract and I'm going to ruin your briefcase. I like that because it adds a dimension to Ambrose's character because any other any other opponent would have stolen that contract or kept the contract hostage or whatever the case may be. In this case, it was I hate you. I hate you so much that I'm just going to destroy at the thing you you hold most precious to you. In this case, obviously the briefcase and the contract and sure Seth Rollins has the briefcase and he can get a brand new contract to put in the briefcase. It's not a big deal, but it was just the symbolism of that. It just showed that the hatred went beyond something tangible and went into two individuals that genuinely hate each other due to a very, very big betrayal. And I think that that was probably one of the better, one of the better stories going on that evening. Now, to close it out, we had your Stephanie McMahon Brie Bella contract signing, which was about as academic as you would expect with any contract signing because you know as well as I do, when it comes to pro wrestling and contract signings, they always end in violence. In this instance, of course, it ended with Stephanie McMahon debuting her interpretation of the pedigree on both Brie and Nikki Bella. Obviously, uh, the way this match is probably going to pan out, Brie Bella's going to win, she's going to get her job back, and Nikki's going to turn on her and side with the authority. It's going to be that easy because Stephanie McMahon obviously has to get her, you know, she has to get her just, she has to get what she deserves to put the feud over, but I have a feeling that the that the payoff is really going to be the sister versus sister feud um, that they're probably going to go with. But as for the match itself, I, I can't even say it's going to suck. I can't even say it's going to be terrible because the fact is that Stephanie McMahon hasn't been in the ring in years and Brie Bella's wrestling has actually improved a little bit, but I don't think it's improved to the point where she can carry a match. That's going to be the interesting part. And like I said, we're going to find out what goes down in two weeks. All right, so let's get into the uh, the rest of the wrestling news for this week. And uh, this week's wrestling news were were very interesting. Um, there were some roster purges, of course. A couple of people got cut loose. Uh, five developmental talents got cut loose. Uh, Garrett Dillon, who was Jody Christofferson, uh, Travis Tyler, Slate Randall, Mac Miles, and Danny Jacks. Obviously, when I spoke of the WWE conference call last week, I said that there was going to be some cuts. I, you know, it's not just uh, cutting on this end, but uh, uh, the guy that used to throw Stone Cold his beers, he got cut. And, of course, there was the cut of Alberto Del Rio, which we're going to get into because that was not a cost-cutting cut that was related to something else. But still, um, definitely a very, very difficult time in the WWE right now. Uh, they're trying to grow the network. They're trying to cut expenses. And I do feel that the shelf life of certain performers is definitely under the microscope. Zack Ryder, we're looking at you. If you are a resident of Austin, Texas, and you are going to be attending Wizard World, the next bit of news is going to make you extremely happy because The Undertaker is going to be at Wizard World. Um, not, not every day that you hear The Undertaker making the convention circuit, but he will be at the Austin Comic Con on, on October 3rd. He'll be signing autographs and posing for photo ops. Um, as of right now, the tentative time that they have on site is 4.30 to 8.30. Again, if you're going to be uh, in the Austin area or going to be attending the event, this is probably one of the rare occasions that you're going to get to meet The Undertaker outside of, you know, a WrestleMania event or an access event. So if you're going to be attending, definitely check it out. I don't have prices for the autographs and the photos, but I'm definitely, 
I'm definitely certain that it is not going to be cheap. Uh, Morta says, I met The Undertaker in 2004. He was doing a signing at a car show. It was during his transition from the American badass back to the dead man. Oh, that's pretty cool. How was it? Was, was he a nice guy, Mortis? I've heard, I've heard he's, a, he's a pretty cool dude, pretty laid back. He likes to talk to the fans. Um, like I said, if, if he doesn't wrestle, this would be a, a prime time to meet him. I think he's probably one of the wrestlers on my bucket list that I want to meet. Obviously, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's on that list, The Rock. You know, a lot of my childhood, a lot of my childhood heroes, a lot of guys that I enjoyed uh, watching when I was younger, definitely would like to meet them. The Undertaker is is on that list. Sting is on that list as well because again, these are guys that you grew that me personally I grew up watching, so definitely would be cool. But again, if you're going to be in Austin for Wizard World, uh, mark October third down on your calendar, and you can meet the Undertaker yourselves. So there's and take this with a grain of salt. This rumor, um, I saw it on WrestleZone. They were talking about uh, title unification between the United States title and the IC belt by doing a triple threat match with Sheamus, The Miz, and Dolph Ziggler, and unifying the belts in the process. I don't know the specifics, and like I said, it's a rumor right now. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, I actually think that at this point they unified the main belts. They might as well unify the secondary belts. Because I don't even remember the last time that the U.S. title was defended at this point. So, again, um, take this with a grain of salt. It's a rumor right now, but there will possibly be a unification match at SummerSlam with the IC and U.S. title. Uh, Mortis said, uh, Undertaker, he was a pretty cool dude, very respectful, didn't talk much, just said, hey, got a pick with him and shook his hand. He seemed a bit tired or exhausted. And yes, yes, Mortis, much like you, I forgot Sheamus had the title because Sheamus hasn't been on TV. Now, the funny thing is there's a rumor going around that Sheamus was going to play uh, Darth Vader a la David Prowse, much like Prowse did in the Star Wars film. Sheamus was going to do it for the new Star Wars films. Now, when I shared this article, uh, which was originally uh, published by our friends at Uproxx, I believe it was Film Drunk that published it, a lot of people were, you know... Oh, this is bullshit. It's not true. Blah, blah, blah. But Sheamus has been fueling the rumors as well on social media. Um, I know that they're filming some Star Wars stuff in Ireland, and I know he was there recently. I don't know the specifics. Again, I'm not saying it's 100% true, but um, it's definitely very, very interesting uh, to see to you know to see that sort of a rumor with a guy like Sheamus. Not to say that Sheamus doesn't have the potential to become um a lead, an actor or a hollywood star but much like david prouse everybody worried about the voice you know versus the actor inside the suit and i see dark helmet saying that darth vader is dead but i'm sure it's for flashbacks because obviously if you're dealing with old luke skywalker you're gonna have flashbacks with darth vader that's a given and that's probably where they're going i, I don't know if, if james Earl jones is going to be doing voice work but it's probably going to be flashbacks and for everybody that's, oh, well, that's bullshit. Sheamus isn't going to do it. Why couldn't he? Why couldn't Sheamus do it? Why couldn't Sheamus be inside the Darth Vader costume? It's not like he's talking. You know, shit like that kills me. It's like I shared the rumor and everybody was all bent out of shape about it. And I'm like, it's a fucking rumor. I didn't even say the shit was true. It's just something that seemed very circumstantial. Listen, the way I see it is nobody, nobody said he can or can't portray Darth Vader. Or nobody, and, and here's, a be, here's, a bigger, here's a bigger statement. Nobody said that Darth Vader could or could not be 
in the next Star Wars film as a flashback. Nobody ever said that. Are you on set? Do you know what J.J. Abrams is doing? Obviously not. So, you know, it just, when I saw that, I, I was just like, okay, uh, nobody here said that that was legit. I shared it, and I just asked for people's opinions on the matter, but it's just, you know, people are fucking weird. W- what can I say? But I will say this, if Seamus does, you know, do the David Prowse-style role with Darth Vader, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Again, mainstreaming for a lot of these guys is their number one goal, and for a guy like Seamus, um, who definitely, he still has a pretty solid shelf life, I, it, it's interesting to see. Obviously, as the story develops and as we learn more, we will definitely share it with you guys. Uh, Dark Helmet. Oh, the audio keeps flipping between high quality and medium quality. Are you saying Mixler audio or are you saying my audio? I'm thinking that maybe it's because I'm not holding this mic close enough. This is the uh, the unfortunate side effect with this mic. This mic being extremely sensitive, I got to keep it extra close so you guys can get the... Uh, the best audio possible anyway as i was saying uh want to switch gears chris jericho did a reddit ama which i actually got to see some i I got to read a little bit of and he said that he's handling his uh tenure with the wwe much like he handles uh touring with fozzy where he does it for a little bit and then he takes a break um in this instance he's going to be touring with the wwe he said until september Uh, He said that his tour ends at the end of September. So there you have it. Jericho doing another limited run, probably through Night of Champions, and then he'll take some time off for a little bit. I really don't see a problem with this. I know a lot of people get bent out of shape. Um, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see more wrestlers do that. They just do limited engagements, maybe put somebody over, uh, maybe help a feud out, and then just, you know, leave for a little bit, and then we get a surprising we get a surprising return. I mean, that's one of the things with a guy like Chris Jericho. I've never had a problem with Chris Jericho leaving and coming back because most times he leaves, he comes back, he has a really good feud, puts a guy over, and goes about his business. I'm not one of those people that gets super jaded when a guy comes back because he's stealing somebody's spot because the way I see it is if you're going to come back and, and make the company money, then all the superstars benefit. That's all I'm saying. So... Leprechaun Origins, which I talked about two weeks ago, uh, post-San Diego Comic-Con, is actually going to get a limited theatrical release um, on August 22nd. So if you are interested in checking out Leprechaun Origins, make sure to check your local theaters to see if it will be playing. While we are on the subject of uh, WWE films, of course, we got See No Evil 2 with Kane reprising his role as Jacob Goodnight. And if you saw Raw on Monday night, you will see that Kane actually handed his mask to the authority. Um, a lot of people are saying that he's going to actually start assuming more of the Jacob Goodnight role in preparation for See No Evil 2. I, I really, when they did the first See No Evil and he did that, I thought it was actually pretty cool when he came out with the chain on the hook and just a change in persona. I think that going that route will definitely reinvigorate Kane, especially if he wears that crazy mask that he's going to have in See No Evil 2. I think that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, we got Corporate Kane, we got the Big Red Monster, we got the Devil's Favorite Demon. You know, even if you even if you say that, that Kane took his, his work on See No Evil 2 too far and he, he feels he's genuinely Jacob Goodnight because of his fragile psychology, 
you know, you can tell a very interesting story and create a brand new offshoot and, and a, a scary character, an enigma. And people are like, oh, well, you know, why is he going to come back as the movie guy? That's going to suck. Listen, if Mick Foley can be Cactus Jack, Dude Love, and Mankind, Kane can be Jacob Goodnight, Corporate Kane, and, and Regular Kane. That's, I, you know, I really don't feel that we can, we can put these guys in, in, in a one-size-fits-all type of category. Because like I said, Mick Foley did the same thing with the faces of Foley. You never knew who you were going to get. You, you, you could get Mankind. You could get Dude Love. You could get regular Mick Foley. I think with Kane, you can really do the same thing um, in the sense that in Kane's case, he's uh, still an engaging character. He still has some decent shelf life, and he puts on decent matches depending on who you put him in there with. But again, we'll see what happens and how that story develops in the coming weeks. The one thing I did want to kind of touch on, obviously, is the, the, the big one, and that is something that was big news to me and not a lot of people probably took it seriously and that was WWE's announcement that they were going to stop selling the WWE magazine now if you're a longtime wrestling fan the WWE magazine PWI all those magazines had a place uh in your bathroom you know in your bedrooms depending on 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 who we're talking about here um and obviously the WWE magazine is a is a shadow of its former self it's definitely not all, um, you know, it's not, uh, I, I don't want to say it's shoot, it, it's shoot laden, but I definitely want to say that WWE turned their magazine less into wrestling and more like a UFC Maxim style magazine, which isn't bad, but I do feel that the print medium as a whole definitely has run its course a little bit. And I just feel that WWE saw the writing on the wall and decided to pull the plug. I'll be honest. I read a lot of content. But I read so much of it online. I used to have Maxim subscriptions. I used to subscribe to Maxim Stuff, FHM, uh, this one wrestling magazine that they used to put out. I think it was Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And um, I used to have just a, a whole bunch of magazines come to my inbox every day. And as time went on, I started, obviously, the um, the magazines were switching to digital. So a lot of magazines I got really great discounts on. And I started just subscribing to them um, through, through Amazon. And that way I could just read them anywhere. And I said to myself, the easier this gets, the less print medium is going to, is going to be out there. And obviously you go into your local doctor's office. You're not going to see a tablet there with a magazine for you to read. You're going to see the usual sports illustrated, uh, men's health, um, readers digest, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're going to see the usual suspects. But what I noticed is I'm seeing less and less and less of that. Even even people who I know that are hardcore readers that read like, you know, Entrepreneur or uh, Wired, they're reading a lot of the stuff digital too where they can or they're just getting PDFs of the books and reading the magazines that way. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I do right now. I read uh, the UFC magazine that way. I read my comics digitally. Hell, I've been boxing up all my comics to sell them. So for me, the the announcement about the WWE magazine definitely was uh you know it was it was a death knell for me like i said because i grew up reading it i felt that it was it was just one of the cool things like reading the vic venom columns which were written by vince russo um definitely were really cool um they had some really good articles in there gave you insight into your favorite performers 
And and it was, you know, it was a staple, especially if you were a wrestling fan. You'd read like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you'd read the WWE magazine, well the WWF magazine at the time, and I believe WCW had a magazine too. I swear they did, but in any event, this is what I'm saying. Like like reading that, a lot of people were just like, "Ah, whatever, the magazine, fuck it." But for me, it was just the, the the end of something that was just a part of my life growing up. It's it's weird because a lot of people don't see it that way. But think about it. In a few years, um, a new generation is not gonna know what it's like to have a Walkman that would have auto reverse and AM, FM, and TV channels. They'll never know what that is. They'll never know what it was like to send people um, coded messages with a beeper. Nobody, <clears throat> you know, nobody ever knows, nobody knows that stuff, you know? Like, like, it's funny because Slick says they don't know now, and it's true, a lot of them don't know. They don't know, you know, they don't know what it's like to have a Walkman or a beeper or a Discman CD player, like, like, stuff like that. I mean, I'm not telling you to go and talk about A-Tracks, like, that's, I remember when I was growing up in my house, my mother still had an A-Track player that she would play like old school Spanish music on. And of course she had her records with, you know, all the 45s, all that stuff. My brother did too. He had, my brother probably had, um, one of the coolest record collections. And it's funny because when I saw guardians of the galaxy and the, the soundtrack for that movie is amazing. I played a lot of it before we went on air. Uh, the thing that got me was that a lot of that music you listened to was incredibly timeless. And I remember I had, you know, my mom had all her music. My brother, he had, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller on a 45, a lot of that stuff. And looking at this stuff now and looking at even my father-in-law's old records, you know, he had some Frank Sinatra and all that stuff. I look at it and I'm like, wow, nobody will ever know what it's like to hold a record in their hand unless you're a DJ. And even that, because most DJs now don't even carry records. Very few do. And um, it's just, it, it almost sounds like I'm saying, hey, back in my day when I was a kid... But it's not just that. It's just showing an evolution of the medium. And the, the, you know, the cancellation of the WWE magazine is a pretty big deal, at least to me. Um, anyway, moving on. Let's get, let's get into the big story, the elephant in the room. Alberto Del Rio uh, getting, uh, getting fired, pretty much. Uh, due to, get this, uh, they announced that Alberto Del Rio was released due to unprofessional conduct and an altercation with an employee. Now, the funny thing is, Alberto Del Rio's contract was due to expire next year, and allegedly he had been very vocal about going back to Mexico. Uh, the funny thing is that, you know, Rob Feinstein from RNF Video, uh, from RF Video said that Alberto Del Rio got into an altercation with one of the uh, WWE employees that handles social media and allegedly slapped him. Again, I don't know how legitimate that story is, but I will say that that, that, that is definitely grounds to get terminated on the spot. I mean, for a minute I said to myself, maybe he hit a woman, because that's a pretty big fucking deal too. Still, even if that's the case, we don't know the gender of the alleged employee he struck. So, again, take that with a grain of salt. All we know that is official is that Alberto Del Rio did get cut loose. Now, the funny thing is, Alberto Del Rio, ever since they cut him and Ricardo Rodriguez apart, it was just... um. It really was just a recipe for disaster for both guys because both guys really did need each other. And it was funny because to me, I said, you know, Alberto Del Rio, even though I think he's a he's not the best wrestler and his gimmick is kind of shitty. I do feel that his chemistry, his chemistry with Ricardo Rodriguez is um, 
probably one of the highlights of of their entire pairing. Obviously, the minute they cut them apart, we saw that almost immediately. Now, the thing is, what what is that, Slick? I don't know what that means. Oh, kind of shitty. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I will say this. Now that Alberto Del Rio is unemployed, he can call Ricardo Rodriguez, and um, Ricardo Rodriguez can introduce him everywhere he goes. Like waking up and going into the supermarket. Just supermarket door opens. Um, Ricardo walks in. Damas y caballeros, el orgullo de México que estás aquí en su supermercado para comprar sus compras. Alberto Del Rio. Just him walking into the supermarket. Alberto Del Rio walking into the bank. Just damas y caballeros. El campeón del WWE está aquí en, el, en su banco. Alberto Del Rio. Just, it, it would just be great. Like, And you know what he could do? Do it as a Vine video. A Vine video or even not Instagram because see Instagram is too mainstream and we got to remember WWE's behind on everything so it's got to be a Vine video or we got to go with tout everywhere they go they got to just do that Alberto Del Rio going to the supermarket Alberto Del Rio going to the bank Alberto Del Rio walking into his own house Alberto Del Rio trying to get a job interview that that would just be fantastic just Alberto Del Rio trying to get a real job he walks in and before the guy's like, oh, have a seat. Who's this? Oh, this is my announcer, Ricardo. Tell him who I am. And just have him tell them, tell them that, you know, it's Alberto Del Rio here for a fucking job interview. It would be ridiculous. It would be completely insane. And, and it's funny because Mortis says that sounds like a funnier die skit. But I'm serious. It's like we know that separately they just didn't work. So you might as well just put them together and let them do something together. Mortis went on to say, Tout is WWE's ex-girlfriend who doesn't know when she's his ex yet. You know what's funny? When you look at the superstar uh, graphics when they come in, you see that Tout is still mentioned in the little graphics. You see the Tout icon, the Twitter icon, the Facebook icon. It's still there. It's funny because I remember when I went to Blog World, I got to meet the team from Tout, and they let me play with the program, and I thought it was fantastic. And I actually did use Tout when Hurricane Sandy happened, you know, I, show, I, I did a couple of tout videos showing some stuff that was going on in the area due to Hurricane Sandy. And, you know, it was pretty cool service. But in the era of Instagram, which obviously su- surpassed Vine, which was the big thing at the time, tout just fell through the cracks. And that's what happens. A lot of these services, they come into the party with, with you know, fire and fire and fucking just a lot of fire and brimstone. And then all of a sudden they just fall apart. And before you know it, uh, the next big thing is replaced by the next bigger thing. I mean, we can, we can talk about numerous services like that. MySpace, of course, being superseded by Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's, it's pretty much the trend that will continue being that way for the foreseeable future. In WWE's case, they need to be ahead of the curve instead of behind, of the, cur- behind the curve. Obviously, you know, telling everybody that the stuff is trending, like I said before, and I talked about this a couple of weeks back, their their mastery of social media is not quite there yet. Like if you know that Kane and, and Roman Reigns are having a um you know a last man standing match, your trending shouldn't be, you know, Kane versus Reigns. It should be something catchy, something cool, like, you know, Reign of Terror or Fire and Brimstone 
or a last man standing, you know, something that makes sense. No, they're, they're pretty much their hashtags are just complete bullshit. Like Stardust and Goldust are cutting a promo and the hashtag should be Stardust or, or Goldust, but no, the hashtag is gold, gold lame. Like just, just some stupid shit like that. Like Rybaxo having a tag team match with uh, Goldust and Stardust. And instead of doing like ta- hashtag tag match, no, it's going to be hashtag Curtis Axel's left shoe. Like that's the kind of shit they do. Like they, they haven't even mastered social media correctly. And it's funny to me because Triple H will go and he'll cut a promo making fun of it. But it's like you motherfuckers still haven't figured it out yet. Like, I understand you pay Twitter a shitload of money and you try to get everything trending, but the shit that sometimes you get trending is shit. Like, some of the stupidest hashtags ever. Like, I'm surprised that you didn't, that you should have got it. Don't, probably the only reason that they didn't do it was because of the decimal point, but getting 999 trending, I'm shocked that they didn't do it. I really am shocked that they didn't get 999 trending. And that's obviously because of the decimal point, but still, like, that that's something that it's silly. And, and they're saved because of the decimal issue. I, I guarantee you that if you could have been able, if you would have been able to put decimal points on on hashtags, forget it. Nine ninety nine would have been trending on Monday night. But again, you know, I, I veer off into these tangents, and I say to myself, WWE always is going to be behind until they get somebody who has more modern thinking. All they did, they did use nine ninety nine mortis. Oh, I almost said slick. I I didn't know that. Holy shit. I'm going to have to look up some tweets. Ah, that's why. Is that, um, Morta said that, that the 999 was put out by the WWE Universe Twitter page. I got a question. Um, is the Universe Twitter page a separate account than regular WWE? Because I, I have regular WWE on my Twitter feed, and I didn't see that. You know, I just saw all their lame hashtags. Is that a separate one? If it is, then I definitely got to follow it just to see why, you know, I try to follow as as much as the social media, you know, as much of the, uh, as many Twitter accounts as I can for as many superstars as I can. Ah, thank you. Thank you for that, Mortis. I will definitely check it out. Anyway, as I said, Alberto Del Rio, unemployed. So, as I mentioned earlier in the segment, we were talking about roster call-ups. And obviously, we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, a lack of, of, of viable tag teams and a lack of viable divas. Well, it looks like we're going to start seeing an influx of new talent. The first is that every, everybody's talking about Callisto getting the call up to the main roster. For those of you that don't know, Callisto, formerly known as Samurai Del Sol, a uh, very promising cruiserweight, has been uh, was in a tag match on one of the NXT shows with El Local, which was Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, has been paired with Sin Cara as of late and actually looks pretty good in his matches. I think that if you call him up and put him together with Sin Cara, it's going to add an interesting uh, Lucha Libre tag team to the mix. Not only that, but I think they could probably have some really good matches with the Matadors, uh, Ryback, so even the Usos who work really well with high-flying tag teams. I think that's probably one of the first call-ups that I think makes the most sense. Another call-up which is probably inevitable at this point, is Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte. Uh, she's supposed to be having a title match with Bayley on NXT, and um, pretty much the uh, the rumors are pretty strong that if Charlotte loses the belt to Bayley, it is because she will be coming up to the main roster. Now, I believe bringing up Ric Flair's daughter 
while I understand that you have the name recognition and her wrestling is pretty solid, I still feel that she needs a little bit more polish. I mean, her match with Natalia was amazing, but it's her matches with Divas whose skill set is not on par with Natalia or even with her that she doesn't look as effective. We'll see what happens in, in, in the coming weeks, but all signs right now point to Callisto, Charlotte, and possibly the Ascension making the, their run to the main roster. Obviously, the Ascension coming up to the main roster would be huge, but I don't really see anybody right now in NXT that could make viable tag team champions in their absence. Maybe the Vaude Villains, but I think they need a little bit more time to get their gimmick completely polished out. We'll see what happens, of course, if I hear something different or something new. And again, these are rumors at, at the you know at the current moment. These are rumors, uh, courtesy of Wrestling Observer. So once they if they become fact, or obviously if something stronger comes out, I will definitely let you guys know. I see Mortis is uh, grimacing in the chat. Why are you grimacing, Mortis? I'm curious. Why are you? Uh, why do I see an UG immediately? What's what's the problem? Is it the call-ups? Or is it just the um, the divisions themselves? I'm curious. While Mortis uh, shares his response, I do want to talk a little bit about TNA. Obviously, we've been talking about uh, the rumors of TNA's cancellation on Spike TV, which now pretty much was changed to negotiating, uh, negotiating being done uh, between both parties. Uh, there's a rumor that the president of Spike TV was at the Impact tapings here in New York this week. So, uh, very, very interesting times for TNA. There was a rumor floating around that Spike TV wanted to purchase TNA and that Dixie Carter said no to the deal, thus leading to them being canceled. As of right now, there is a huge question mark with regards to where they're going to go, uh, whether they're going to remain on Spike TV or whether Spike TV is going to buy the promotion. Hopefully, this stuff will start kind of taking shape in the next couple of weeks. I know TNA booked some shows in New York in September as well. I mean, if TNA starts doing all their shows here, I think they would really benefit because they're getting some really good crowds. New York is a wrestling city, and um, being so close in proximity to Madison Square Garden allows you to kind of encroach a little bit on WWE's territory without forcing the issue too much. Um, In any event, I will say this... um, Right now, everything with TNA is a question mark. I, I will say their past couple of broadcasts have been surprisingly good. Um, we were supposed to do an Impact Live blog this week, but um, you know there was uh, some scheduling issues between Jay and I, and uh, hopefully we will give it a shot next week. I'm going to try and actually, maybe depending on how much work we're doing on the, uh, the big MTR announcement, maybe I'll try my hand at live blogging at schedule permitting. Uh, but otherwise, definitely try and give TNA a shot their last couple of shows have been really good. Their matches tonight were pretty solid. Uh, Samoa Joe and Low Key, definitely one of the high points. I may actually have to put a three R's column together for Impact because they had a lot of decent moments this week. But again, uh, that's something we will touch on in the coming weeks. Uh, oh, okay, I'll check it out. Thank you for that, Mortis. All right, so with that said, that's actually going to wrap up the week's wrestling news. Uh, let's get into some gaming news. we got a lot to discuss, and if Slick is around, I definitely want to bring him on for this week. So let's talk gaming, shall we?
I've realized that we don't have a sponsor for our gaming segment. Just want to throw that out there. If you're interested in getting your brand noticed, definitely hit us up, mtrhost.mytakeradio.com, if you're interested in advertising in our gaming segment. All right, so gaming news this week have been pretty pretty solid. There's a lot of good stuff coming out. Um, there's a lot of games I'm looking forward to. I actually picked up the retail version of Ultra Street Fighter 4. Now, you're probably saying to me, Rich, you know, you talk about all this double dipping and you complain about it and blah, blah, blah. Well, as much as I complain about it, I have a, a loyalty to the fighting game genre. I love fighting games. I always buy them. It, Street Fighter especially I try to pick up because I try to support the the franchise itself. But the funny thing is, um, I had um, Super Street Fighter, and I sold that because I bought the huge 25th anniversary Street Fighter box set. And when I bought that, I said, all right, this is it. And that actually came with uh, Street Fighter, you know, Super Street Fighter, all the costume DLC, and it also came with Street Fighter Cross Tekken. They came in one box. So when they announced Ultra Street Fighter, I said, shit, I don't want to sell the version of the of the game I have because it came with the box set and it comes bundled with uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, but I also want to pick it up, and I don't want to pick it up as DLC. So I picked up the retail version of the game. Of course, it comes with all the costumes that have been released, which if you purchase them, which I, I had purchased a handful, and then when I bought the Street Fighter box set, I ended up getting all of them. You know, it, it definitely looks a little, you know, it's definitely double dipping, but like I said, I, I support the series. I you know I'm a, I'm a big Street Fighter fan, so I picked up Ultra Street Fighter. It looks good. A lot of character rebalancing was done. Um, graphics, as always, are are on point. Uh, the only thing I'd like to say is that if you if you did pick up Ultra Street Fighter as uh, online DLC, then you know just enjoy it that way. There's really no difference other than like I said, uh, having a, a disc of the game and, and getting all the costumes and stuff. But I believe if you got it uh, via DLC, you would get all the costumes as well. In any event, yeah, I did pull the trigger on it. Shoot me. What do you want? <laughs> all right. So uh, GTA 5 is allegedly scheduled to receive uh, some single-player DLC. There's a rumor going around that they're going to go with a um, single-player zombie-themed mission and also a mission with Trevor as a CIA assassin. Uh, take this with a grain of salt right now, as uh, the rumor is coming courtesy of a YouTube user that found the source code that suggests those two single-player modes. I believe his name is Chrome Mods, uh, C-H-R-0-M-3-X-M-O-D-Z. Uh, that's the YouTube user that came across it, and... Um, he actually came across the source code suggesting that. Uh, right now, there hasn't been any single-player DLC announced as of yet, but Rockstar has gone on record a few times saying that single-player story content would be arriving this year. Obviously, GTA will be hitting next-gen consoles later this year, so maybe we will see some new single-player campaigns then. In some other news, if you've been following this story, you know that WWE 2K15 is releasing a special Hulkamania edition, which I'm sure they will announce on this coming episode of Raw. Uh, the funny thing is that this Hulkamania edition of WWE 2K15 will not be available on current-gen consoles, at least as of, as of this week's show. 
As of right now, the WWE 2K15 Hulkamania bundle is scheduled for the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. It will run you um, 100 bucks. It's limited to 25,000 copies, and you're going to get, of course, a copy of the game, premium packaging, a collectible art card signed by Hulk Hogan. You're going to get an exclusive Funko Hollywood Hulk Hogan, which if you are you know, a pop culture junkie like me, you're, you're definitely familiar with Funko's offerings. I got a couple back there. Um, I love all the figures that they do. Uh, I was almost tempted to pre-order that because I wouldn't mind a vinyl uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I know that Funko is releasing a wrestling line in September, and they got a Macho Man Randy Savage, which I'll probably get, and a Daniel Bryan. But um, Hollywood Hulk Hogan Funko definitely is pretty cool. Um, again, that's um, that's one of the exclusives you get in the $99 bundle. Also, you're going to get a piece of ring canvas from Hulk Hogan's Monday Night Raw appearance on March 10th, 2014. In addition to that, you're going to get a pre-order exclusive Hollywood Hogan and Red and Yellow Hogan to play in the game, plus, of course, Sting as well. Um, again, it's a great value for 100 bucks. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. It's limited to 25,000 copies. Uh, a couple of people I spoke to said that you know if they if they were hardcore Hogan fans they definitely pick it up. I know a couple of guys that picked up the Undertaker box set when it came out. The Hogan box set definitely looks cool, and um, I don't know. I, I I I'm tempted to pre-order it unless somebody can get me that Hollywood Hogan Funko without me having to buy the game. But the power of eBay is a powerful tool. Um, I just got word that Slick is in the building, so let me cue him up. And bring him on board because I want to go through some of these gaming news with him. Slick, what's up, dude? What's up, man? Uh, not drinking the monster is definitely taking its toll. But uh, other than that, all is well. Um, I wanted to bring you on board just because there's a couple of news stories I wanted to discuss with you. Um, Nintendo has been releasing some of their Nintendo Direct content. I know you wrote a really great article on Nintendo and the Wii U this week. I recommend you guys check it out on MyTakeRadio.com. Uh, this bit of news comes out that Ganondorf will be a playable character in Zelda's Hyrule Warriors. Well, Link's Hyrule Warriors, I should say. Uh, the game is coming out on the Wii U on September 26th, and um, they released a brief trailer for it. It definitely looks pretty cool. The graphics look really nice. Um, do you feel that Nintendo Correct is doing uh, Nintendo Direct? Excuse me, is doing a serviceable job? in releasing announcements like this and hoping that they pick up steam in mainstream gaming media because obviously I didn't find out about this till days later when I believe it was Kotaku Gizmodo reported it. How do you feel about that and do you use Nintendo Direct to get your Nintendo news? Well, I personally don't use it, but I, I think it's a very good thing. Like, I, I wish... Sony and Microsoft would do something like that, even though really Sony just uses their YouTube channel, really. Right. Um, but it, it's cool because it's presented in you know an entertaining way. Like you have people like Iwata presenting games and stuff, or like they might just have their like regular show hosts that they have, and it's like they. They make little interesting snippets and stuff, and you can either see it online at the Nintendo page, or like you can catch it through your Wii U if you have a Wii U. Right. So it's like it's it's engaging 
those people who do and do not have the Wii U. And, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to promote more interest. I mean, I personally am not going to pick up Hyrule Warriors because, it, it, you know, regardless of how great it looks and all the great characters in it, still Dynasty Warriors. And, uh, <laughs> I, I respect I that. I the Gundam, the Gundam game either. That game looked great to me too, but still Dynasty Warriors. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think people would have been more excited to hear that Ganondorf was in Smash Brothers, but, but, um, you know, that, that's still a possibility. Well, it, and, I'm glad. Um, go, go ahead. Go ahead, I'll let you finish. I was saying, I, I like the way they do the Nintendo Direct because it allows for news to come out more frequently. Like, they can keep people up to date with stuff and they don't have to wait for things like Tokyo Game Show or E3 and stuff. Right. They can do a Nintendo Direct whatever the hell they want to. This is true. Well, here, here's one thing. You brought, you brought up Smash Brothers. Do you feel that releasing a game like Zelda Hyrule Warriors so cl- not so close, but within a, a, a decent window that it would probably be it's a, it's in poor form only because Smash Brothers is so close to release. No, not at all. Because, like I said, it's it's Dynasty Warriors. I mean, you can no matter how you look at it. It's like with Ultra Street Fighter Four. Yeah, you added a couple of new characters. You get all the the, the new the costumes from from when Street Fighter Four first came out, but. Four. Right, I understand. So I mean, I, I even though it has, it's, it's all literally high world characters. I mean, to me, it's not a Zelda game. It's still Dynasty, Dynasty Warriors. Warriors. I mean, <laughs> they said it themselves. They're looking to get Dynasty Warrior fans that may not be interested in Zelda more interested in Zelda. And Zelda fans that may not be interested in Dynasty Warriors or interested in Dynasty Warriors, and I think they will accomplish that. I think so. I mean, you know what the thing is? When I saw it, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty promising." On um, you know, this is, uh, graphically and and just the offerings as a whole looked incredibly promising on the system. But now we're in now we're in the situation where you know you're you're creating almost a brand new genre by going this route. I mean. I understand you want to kind of add a, a different dynamic to to you know the Link and Zelda franchises, but I will say this: um, I'd rather see a game than you know an offshoot. That's just me. Well, people can't really get too mad about that because the game is in development. Right. If there was no you know, no announced Zelda game and, you know, they never showed anything in E3, then people could be pissed about Hyrule Warriors. But right. you really can't be pissed about Hyrule Warriors because whether or not it came out, you know, right now, whether or not it ever came out, Zelda still ain't coming out right now. Fair, uh, definitely a fair assessment. I have no problem with that. Well, we, while we're on the subject of that, you know, and just games in development and even double-dipping, um, I got an email from Capcom, and I didn't I didn't get to publish it in time uh, on the site. 
about that they're remastering the first Resident Evil for PlayStation 4, PS3, Xbox One, 360, and PC, and they will be releasing it uh, later on in 2015. Now, obviously Resident Evil has come a long way, and it's evolved considerably over the last couple of years, but how do you feel about them going back to its roots and remastering the classic at this point? They're out of ideas. That's my solid feeling about it. Okay. They are out of fucking ideas because Resident Evil 4, people loved it. Resident Evil 5? I hated so it. I hated it. Can't, can't run and gun. Can't run and gun. And uh, white dude shooting black people. <laughs> yep. But, um, Resident Evil 6? They could run and gun, but people didn't really care for it too much. Well, you know, I, I heard, I, I saw hardcore Resident Evil fans saying this game is boring. I always like Code Veronica so, I mean, on Dreamcast. Yeah, but how long ago did that come out? Exactly, dude. I I love that version. I was like, I love that game. I thought the story was really good. The graphics on the Dreamcast at the time were fucking, you know, ahead of the, ahead of the curve. And I was just like, wow, this game is pretty badass. And I played, I remember playing Resident Evil 5, and I was just like, ugh, I couldn't stand it. I think I got it free. And I was like, yo, this game is, is horse shit. <laughs> it really was. It's like, oh, look. It's like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, all right, let me just run from these zombies and then turn around and start blasting. I'm running, and I'm like, okay, can't turn around. What the fuck is going on? It's like... It's like you're supposed to simulate the zombie apocalypse. I'd be fucking dead. <laughs> Think about it. Zombies. You would be running and shooting, not walking at a brisk fucking pace. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember playing the demo like, no, no. Nope. Something dropped out. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, guys. We dropped out on the uh, Blog Talk Radio side. I knew it was going to happen. Hold on a moment. Clearly, we dropped out. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin. When finished, press the pound key. I knew that shit was going to happen. To start your show now, press 1. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Four times already. And they're making it again. Welcome and back. <laughs> they said, they, they made an article, like, the, the guy's primarily responsible for They're like, basically, other than graphics, they don't expect nothing new. They, they said that. They're like, we're going to update the graphics, and other than that, it's pretty much going to be the same fucking game. I'm like, you understand that people haven't really liked the last two main mainstream Resident Evil games. Hey. You want to take it back to the beginning. How about don't graphically update a game that's come out like four fucking times already? How about you... Make Resident Evil 7 <laughs> and 
use the, the gameplay elements of Resident Evil 1 so that people might actually like it. This is true. Did you know that I dropped out of the call? <laughs> I didn't even I, I didn't have the, the, um, the studio up, so I didn't even see it. I was ah. rambling on and on. Yeah, so um, I think people probably caught that. I... <laughs> Mortis said Slick's gonna slick because he put I don't think more uh, Slick knew you were off air and, and it was funny because I saw the switchboard go dark and then it, the call dropped and I was like fuck <laughs> uh, I don't know how much people heard I mean the um, I, I just really think they should have moved forward with previous game the, the gameplay of, of Resident Evil 1 instead of moving backwards and applying, like, Resident Evil 6 graphics to Resident Evil 1. Well, you know what it is? Everything that's old is new again, and what they're realizing is, and this is this is terrible to say, but the, the you know, the re-release of The Last of Us, even though it was a game that was recent and got, you know, got the bump to next-gen, companies are figuring, oh, you know, if we put a little time in, we could release these games and make some money. And yeah, in some instances it works, but like I read that they're going to release a complete edition of Sleeping Dogs on next-gen consoles. I just got the game for free through Xbox Games with Gold. It was a very good game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think I mentioned that on air, and I finished it. I was like, all right, this game was pretty cool. It's like, how long ago did that game come out that you're deciding that it deserves to get double-dipped? You know what I mean? Like, tell me that's not that's not weird to you because that game, what did it come out in 2012? We got it free in 2014, and you expect people to pay for it at this point? What, because of prettier graphics? That's my big beef with Rockstar right now, releasing Grand Theft Auto V on P. Well, not on PC, because the PC gamers definitely deserve to get it, but on, like, Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Because how about stop wasting time updating the graphics and making more animals like extra sharks and fucking more dogs and shit. How about you fix the fucking online? <laughs> because the people who love that game are sick and tired of people walking around with pistols shooting fucking rockets at you, <laughs> spawning aliens and like just fire truck water stops out of nowhere. How about you fix the fucking online, get rid of the hackers, and make the game fun again? Instead of just, you're going to release it with better graphics, and the same shit's going to happen online again. It, it's... Because all those fucking hackers that are doing it on PS3 are going to find a way to do it on PS4 and Xbox One. Absolutely. I think that's definitely going to be one of the one of the bigger things that we're going to see. It's, it's that companies now are, like I said, feeling outright comfortable with plugging games in and just saying, oh, we're going to spruce them up and we're going to release them. And again, it sounds great in theory up until you realize that people, pe either A, the games are going to just take up space, or B, people are just going to get pissed off and they're going to tell the companies, listen, instead of spending all this money and all this de these development dollars on putting out re rehashes, take some time and just put out the game, you know? 
put out sequels yeah, like, or put out new IPs. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Grand Theft Auto Five. I love that game, and I haven't played it in like three months now because with all the fucking hackers running rampant online, it's it's like I don't want to play it anymore. Well, you know what's funny when when Assassin's Creed was released assassin's creed black flag was released on next gen it was weird because the time span between the release of all the games on next gen consoles wasn't that bad so you know if you were jumping in you'd at least have a really good game that would showcase the power of the system now on 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 the flip side now with the new assassin's creed ubisoft is actually trying to kind of give next gen gamers and current gen gamers uh two unique experiences and i wanted to bring this up based on what you said because they're releasing Assassin's Creed Rogue on PS3 and Xbox 360 and then Assassin's Creed Unity is going to be released on next gen so if you have you know if you have all the systems you'll get to enjoy a complete experience across the board but even if you don't you're still going to get to enjoy Assassin's Creed in some capacity and I mean uh, minus what I feel felt about the stories and how the stories have become completely shitty. Well, not the stories themselves, but the endings. I do feel that there's more there's more that can be done on current gen versus just putting a bullet in current gen gaming. You know what I mean? Like like you can still enjoy a fair amount, you know, you can enjoy you can still enjoy a fair amount of games and there's still great titles coming out for the foreseeable future. I know a lot of guys that they made the jump and they sold all their stuff and jumped to next gen. But there's still good stuff on current-gen consoles that needs to be, you know, that you can definitely show a little love to. I like what Ubisoft did. Some people are like, oh, they're just trying to get money from all angles. It's like, no, it's like some people haven't made the jump yet. And either they make the jump because they want the next-gen game or they get both games on both, you know, on both platforms. It goes both ways because it's Ubisoft, so truth of the matter, they are trying to get money from all in. Oh, yeah, of course. But Money's always the motivator. I'm happy with what they're doing, and it goes back to what I said when the announcement of Batman Arkham Knight came out. I'm happy that they're making an Assassin's Creed for, old, for last gen and for current gen because that way the overall product will not suffer for the next-gen gamers. Right. Like I said, when, when Arkham Knight was announced, it was only coming to, well, I, I call it now current-gen and PC. Right. That's fantastic because, yeah, unfortunately, if you have a, a 360 or a PS3, you can't play it right now. But these games that are coming out um, simultaneously, so let's say just PS3 and PS4, and Xbox 360 and Xbox One, it's suffering on the next-gen end. And a, a good example is Watch Dogs, which, again, Watch Dogs is a, a fantastic game. It looks great, but it probably could have looked better if it were solidly developed for PC, um, Xbox One, and PS4, Versus also being developed for the the current the old gen consoles. I can I can agree because with that. I can agree with that. A lot of what's being done for for these games that are coming out and everything is 
they're really developing for the 360 and the PS3 because even if the, the PS3 is still a little bit difficult to code for, people know how to do it now. This is true. Code for stuff you've been working on for, you know, like almost 10 years than something that came out a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean... And, and then they're, they're porting it over to the, to the newer consoles. Well, we've talked about this, too, that, you know, the current-gen consoles are, are finally being mastered in terms of development, and we've talked about all the games that are measuring sticks. I, I guarantee you probably next year we're going to start seeing some really crazy shit. And, and if, if you've noticed, there's been an incredible trend of just companies just shelving games into the next year. I mean, right now I was going to say that uh, 2K and Turtle Rock announced that Evolve, which was scheduled to come out October 21st, now is being bumped to February 10th. And what you're saying is correct that we're going to start seeing crazy shit. And you don't even have to, to wait to see that that's true because you can look at a game like Batman Arkham Knight and the, the small amount of gameplay they've shown. Yep. And you can see that as, you know, as great as graphics have gotten on PS3 and 360, those consoles were not going to handle that level of detail. Absolutely and not. And then you look at a game that is a... a and, you know, a, a new console exclusive, the Order 1886, right. where there's no difference in graphical quality between gameplay and the the, um, the cutscene. Right. you know, we, we got to wait for the final product to see if that's really the case, but what they've been showing, it's literally seamless from the cutscene to the gameplay. And that that's, you know, we've always been waiting for because, you know, one of the games people actually do want to see remade, Final Fantasy VII, was one of the original culprits of showing the cutscenes to sell the game, and then you play the game, and, you know, you, you still love the game, but right. the actual gameplay looks like fucking dog shit compared to the cutscenes. Oh, yeah, the 2D sprite, 2D sprites like a motherfucker, but... I understand. I understand what you're saying, and and I also feel that, like I said, a lot of a lot of companies are just taking advantage, and they're realizing, hey, if we just hang out and we get the development, you know, under under control, we're gonna make a better game. Um, a good example of that, and it goes into the the last bit of news I wanted to talk about: Disney Infinity. When Disney Infinity came out, the first thing we said was that it was competing. It was put out to compete against Skylanders. Uh, we said the same thing about Nintendo with their offering now. But what I did want to mention is that what Disney Infinity decided was as soon as they got that Marvel license, they said, fuck it, we're going to take advantage of this and we're going to lump in um, a new game with a new, you know, with a new engine and a new platform and give people more characters. And with Disney Infinity 2.0, when we, which I got to see at the at the Sweet Sweet event, I felt that that was a step in the right direction because at least if you're going to put out a game and it's going to be a test, you know, a new IP and it's going to be a little rough, your job is to definitely not only go for the genuine for the genuine cash grab, but go for at least giving people some new value. I, I, Disney Infinity, Skylanders, uh, they're all they're all games that in 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 theory sounded really good. Their execution left a little bit to be desired. But as they release sequels, they continue to improve. In Disney's case, they have a never-ending assortment 
of characters they can release because they've only just now scratched the surface of of most of their mainstream characters. Obviously, you're going to see, you know, Buzz and Woody from Toy from Toy Story or you're going to see Mr. Incredible, but again, you're still you haven't really touched some of the other franchises. When I saw Disney Infinity, they had an Angelina Jolie Maleficent. Again, brand new property with an established character, and sure you could do the cartoon Maleficent and that'd be great, but why not take advantage and get the movie some buzz too? And they're very smart because they did 2.0 and just put Marvel in there. Yep. Now they can do next year Disney Infinity 3.0 and put Star Wars in there. That's correct. And and, and I'm glad you brought that up. 2.0, I mean, the photos I shared on MyTakeRadio.com really blew me away. I mean, I had some issues with the game from the first game because, like I said, we got it for um, we got it for Josh's daughter and there were certain issues uh, that we noticed and and you know it wasn't it, not from him but other people that did like I did and bought the game for for younger children the the younger children would lose interest because they had to go through a lot of legwork to really play the game like obviously Disney Infinity 2.0 when I brought that to the developers attention they knew that they were like yeah you know we've kind of found a workaround for that not only that but they're also releasing the right characters like in the Marvel pack you're getting Spider-Man, you're getting Venom, you're getting the Avengers. Now, you know, with the popularity of Guardians of the Galaxy, you're getting a Guardians of the Galaxy set. So what they're doing is, and again, they haven't even scratched the surface. You know, they haven't even started touching the X-Men or any of those offshoot characters. They've only only messed with the Avengers and Guardians thus far and some some Spidey characters. Like, they released a villains pack, which is going to have... Ronan the Accuser, Loki, and um, the Green Goblin, Ultimate Green Goblin, and you see what I'm saying? Like they're 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 picking and choosing, and they haven't even scratched the surface. And like you said, the Star Wars um, integration. Think about it. You have an expanded universe of characters, even there that you can do. You can do the core characters. You can do characters from the books if you wanted to. Whatever the case may be, and it would just extend the shelf life of a game. That sounds super simple. I I was, you know, like I said, um, one of the announcements they put out, which I'm going to put on the site, is that they um they announced that, and and you know this is going to sell, Princess Princess Jasmine and Aladdin. You know, you know, people are going to buy that. That's going to sell through the roof. It's going to sell through the roof, and not to mention. They haven't even released Genie or Jafar. I thought I did see Genie in the original, um, in the original um, Disney Infinity. I've never seen him. I've seen I pictures. Could be wrong, I've ne- but I, I thought I saw him in the advertisements. I've I've seen him in advertisements. I've never seen him in a store. I've seen I've seen Wreck It Ralph and um, Vanellope Von Schweetz. And actually, it's funny because the Vanellope one is probably the harder one to find. Then Wreck It Ralph, which is a little odd. It might have made less of her. Probably. She would, she would sell out fast. Right. Everybody loved that character. Well, the characters that are probably the most popular now are the Frozen ones, which everywhere I go, they they get picked up very quickly. And I think that this is where uh, this is where Disney is going to really maximize this property because they don't need to release every character right away. It's like. They can build a buzz real quick, like, oh, you know, like Aladdin and Jasmine or 
you know, um, Snow White and maybe two of the seven dwarfs. Well, that that'll be Nintendo's chance to really catch up when they when they start doing their thing. Yep. Because when they finally touch on Pokemon, which you know they have to, absolutely, they can make the more rare and hard to find Pokemon more rare in the store. Well, you know what's funny about that when you bring up Pokemon and the fact that you can level up your figures. I said to myself. They're going to integrate this into Pokemon because you're going to be able to level up and quote unquote evolve your Pokemon. With the the Wii U having a tablet controller and that that functionality that they've introduced, they have to finally make a home, you know, a full fledged home Pokemon game. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. Online, it's you got to do it. And not only I mean, that, especially. Go ahead. Go ahead, dude. Go ahead, man. Oh, I was going to say that. Uh, uh, <laughs> you first. <laughs> uh, I was just saying that you know, you know, reviving the Wii U. It's like that's something people, as much as you know, Pokemon fans love having it on their, their DS. It's like you got to bring it home. I mean, I know the name implies portability and everything, but you got to bring it home. And not some bullshit like the, the, the games that have been on console, a real Pokemon game. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you, put it, you put it out there like that because I'm going to say this. You, you can create a brand new market with exactly that. Oh, look, you can play Pokemon with Pokemon figures and you can level them up. And the beauty of it is if you add that integration into, say, um, a 3DS and you sell the platform like they did for Disney Infinity, you can still expand that universe and still have that portability. You're just going to have kids walking around with little cases full of figures. Here's my, you know, here's my level five Pikachu. Here's my level eight Squirtle. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's definitely opportunity there that Nintendo can really take advantage of. But the question is. Can they and will they? They can, but I mean, I, I would hope that they don't make a character like a, a, a character for each and every single Pokemon. Like, fuck it, why not? The, the base one. I mean, because you think about it, even if they charge one ninety nine per figure, that means that the whole set will cost you close to fifteen hundred dollars. This is true, but... There's over 700 Pokemon. This is true, but you know what's going to happen? People are going to pick and choose who they want. I mean, the gag is you're going to want to catch them all, but maybe what will happen is the ones that you catch virtually in the game, you can do like um, like Skylanders that we saw at, at uh, the Sweet Sweet event, which basically it has the dock. You can put your Skylanders figures on there, and then the villains that you capture actually go into crystals that you buy so you'll be you don't necessarily need the figure for each guy you get what i'm saying so in 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 that game you would play as uh let me see let me use this guy so this guy this guy twin blade chop chop you go you take him you put him on the base he's in the game so 
the bad guy that you fight after you defeat him he can be absorbed into a crystal that goes into the the base of the game and what what you can do with those crystals is they'll let you use the villains that you captured in game as heroes now you could do something similar with pokemon maybe you can you can create you can make the base the pokedex and you use your your characters that you purchase there but then some of the ones that you capture they can be loaded in there but maybe they only stay at one particular level you know well, I mean, like I said, if they made a full-fledged game, there's trading and there's breeding. But the thing is, not every Pokemon can breed. Right. See, and that's why I wanted to bring that up because obviously you could you could school me on it because I haven't I haven't played a game since uh, you know Red and Green, and and that's that's how far back we're going. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in, in the headquarters in Japan. There's, there's a brainstorming team trying to figure this out. Yeah, because the way I see it is there's you, if it's leveraged correctly, they can make a shit ton of money. Exactly. That's why it, it, somebody's got to be working on it. So I wanted to I wanted to wrap up the gaming segment, and I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we got Gamescom next week, and I'm sure there's going to be some announcements being made. And the funny thing is that both Nintendo and Xbox One are kind of competing uh, neck and neck in the sense that Xbox One gets the 3D Blu-ray update, PlayStation 4 gets the 3D Blu-ray update. You know, like it's almost it's it's pretty much they're kind of they're trying to go tit for tat, except obviously um, with regards to original content, Microsoft kind of other than Halo, they kind of step back from it. With with that said, what do you think? Uh, Microsoft, let, we'll use Microsoft. What do you think Microsoft needs to do going into this holiday season to ensure that they are at least compete, competing evenly against Sony? They need to introduce a new IP. Like, they need to really brainstorm. Like, I don't know, like, maybe find like some indie artist that trying to create a comic book or something and, and find a new IP. You know, kind of like how they did that Joe Madden and, and brought out um, Darksiders. Darksiders. Right. They, they need a, a brand new IP with, you know, you know, a highly... A relatable know, character. Faceable character. They need, they need a new face. Right. Because, like, I, I mentioned this so many times, like, their face is Master Chief, and Master Chief does not have an actual face. And Master Chief isn't for everybody, because, think about it, you need the character that is exactly what you were saying, just, you know, universal. Like, Nintendo, it's Mario, but it's not just Mario. You know, it's it, it can be Mario, it could be Pikachu, it could be Kirby, it could, you know what I mean? Like, they have such a such a stable of characters that they definitely have a few they can fall back on. I mean, you know, they used. To, you would think that at this point they would have set something up where they have that one signature. I mean, even in Sony's case, you can say, you know, Sackboy. You can say Kratos. You could say Nathan Drake. You know what I mean? There's a there's a healthy list of individuals. So, so in your what what you're saying is that for Xbox to be successful, they need a new face of the company, well, a new face for the console and a new IP, right? Right. Okay. 
So, switching gears on, on PlayStation side, what does Sony need to do to stay number one? I feel that Sony's really doing it because they they have one of their big faces coming out. They have Drake coming out. There's rumors, you know, of another God of War game, which they could just say, look who's back. And, you know, you get old pale face. Yep. You have, I mean, this month alone, you have the down the DLC for Infamous Second Son coming out. Right. So they're not done with that, and you can always say next year, like, you know, even if it's not coming out next year, you could bring out the sequel to Infamous Second Son and announce that. Right. And it's like you have Order 1886 coming out. Okay. I mean, I don't know how I would class that because that's more of a, like, the characters in that game seem more of a team than having this one main character. But, I mean, you have Insomniac that's no longer exclusively working for Sony, so right. Order 1886 could be the replacement for, for uh, what's the name, Resistance. Okay. Fair enough assessment. And, of course, uh, last but not least, Nintendo. What does Nintendo need to do to, to, to gain a leg up going into the holiday season? Read my article. No. But, yeah, do that. <laughs> but but that's, that was why like, I said it. Like, <laughs> that was why I said it. But um, without, give, without obviously giving away the article, give us, uh, give us a, 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 short, a short version. They need to dig into, I mean, they have plenty of faces they can use. Right. Because even if they're not, like, Nintendo characters, they have a shitload of old games that were exclusive to the NES that they could, you know, potentially remake for the Wii U. Right. I mean, you have your your all your characters that, I mean, put them in different situations. Right. Does, does Link need to have his adventure in Hyrule? No. I always said, does and I said... Does need to be in the Mushroom Kingdom? No. Dude, I stand by what I've said before. Joint... Mario Sonic Adventure game against Eggman and Bowser. I mean, I, st- I don't know how far off that would be because there's a new Sonic game being worked on, right? Which does have like it has like sort of crossover characters, but they're they're within the Sonic universe, right? 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 But so, I'm. Uh, but that would be huge, dude. I mean, they've done it, but they only did it with the stupid Olympics. Yep, so. the stupid yeah, sports they, games. They need to do that too. That would, I, or I, even take your actual Nintendo character, put Mario and Donkey Kong back together in some kind of adventure. I think that would work too. I think I think a Donkey Kong Country game where Donkey Kong needs Mario would be ridiculous. Like, it really is, it's weird, because it's like, Japanese people are very creative, I mean, look at the crazy shit in anime, but right. it's it's like with Nintendo, they, they just keep going to the same well. Well, I mean, Even we... when they innovate, with like, you know, Super Mario 64, when that came out, it was still Mario saving the princess from Bowser. 
Right. I mean, and you know what it is? We, we, we definitely have gone into that, so I'm not, I'm not going to stretch it too far, but I'll say this. And to touch on what you said, I think Nintendo has the IPs, but they've become so they've become so insistent on utilizing them in the same archaic fashion that even the IPs lose their luster. Like what you just said, you know, Donkey Kong and Mario, or Sonic and Mario in a game, or maybe let's go back to some IPs we haven't seen in a while. You know, maybe maybe we need instead of relying on Mario Kart, maybe we need a new RC Pro Am, or maybe a new Excite Bike. You you die for Excite Bike. <laughs> oh, dude, I need Excite Bike so fucking bad in my life, dude. That was a game that was just so simple. Like I spent hours building fucking courses, and my mother would walk into the living room and she'd be like, "Are you gonna ride the bike anytime soon?" Like, no, I have to make it perfect. And I do like the one big jump and then four little jumps. And she'd, she'd come back and be like, oh, what are you doing? You know, and that and obviously it's easy to use that. But think about it. It's easy to use Mario Kart. Mario Kart is a is a no brainer. But think about it. You got F-Zero, uh, Excite Bike, uh, Battletoads, Clash of Demon Head, which obviously, you know, Everybody, everybody laughs because that game was fucking is a niche game, but like that, like an old school RPG. There was there was one um, there was one on Super Nintendo with the with a ninja in a red jumpsuit. He was a kid. Do you remember what the one I'm talking about? I do. It was him and an old guy with glasses that wore a blue suit. Was it Alex Kidd? No, no, no. Alex Kidd was on Genesis. I can't remember the name, but I mean, it is so. But that's what I mean. So many titles. But, mean, but that's what I mean. Like titles I mean, like that. Even you know, it's funny. Dark Helmet says Clash of Demon Head was impossible. There was another game I liked. Um, it was on Nintendo, and it took place in like Greek mythology. It wasn't Kid Icarus, but um, it again. I'm just referencing IPs like uh, yeah, they're a little obscure, but um. Again, this is stuff you could like. Imagine here. Here's a kicker. Imagine a brand new Chippendales Rescue Rangers. Well, I mean, you gotta work with Disney on that. Right. But still, why not? You know, like take those games that people remembered from from that day, from from that day, and, and really try and put them out there. I mean, here's a crazy one, and, and even though this one's a little more obscure. Do you remember Tiny Toons on Super on Genesis? Vaguely. Where you play as Buster? Yeah, you play as Buster and Babs, and then you it, it was a platforming game, dude, ahead of its time, platforming wise. I mean, even even a game like and and again, this is I'm not saying to redo it, but remember when Aladdin the game came out on fucking consoles? How beautiful it was, and everybody was like, holy shit, this is insane. Or, here's an IP, maybe get with Sega and dig up Eternal Champions and throw it on the Wii U. At least you give the Wii U an exclusive fighting game, you know? I mean, or even the Virtual Fighter, which is also Sega. Right, but, but Virtual Fighter Virtual Fighters evolved so much... But at li- but w- when using a new IP like Eternal Champions hasn't been touched since the Genesis days, you know. And 
Nintendo, I mean, now that they have a console where the online actually works, yep. they need a fighter. They need a fighter that's not Smash Brothers. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, like um, using, using a game like that, like Eternal Champions, yeah, it wasn't the best game, but at least it was a game that people remember, you know? They, you know what they need? Now Shoot. that they have some working online, right. they need a Tatsunoko versus Capcom too. They do need that, or at least, and this is a a Capcom gripe. Capcom should release that game on next gen to fill the gap between Street Fighter Four and Five, and cut the bullshit. <laughs> I'm serious. But I agree with, with Dark Helmet that Actraiser needs to to see some life on the Wii U. Yeah. But that's what I mean. But because it, it's easier, they'll be like, "Yeah, but you could play all these games via the virtual console." I'm like, "No, I don't want virtual not console." About re, I'm not talking about the original game. I'm talking about no, no, no. But that's that IP in a new game. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like nobody, everybody wants to. Oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna play this for nostalgia. But it's like if they got a little, if they took some risks, you can have some really good fun with that. I, you know what I'd like to see. And and this is crazy, and not just on Nintendo. I would like to see a next gen version of NARC. Yeah, a next gen Operation Wolf. Yeah, like like stuff I, like that. I want to see the, the arcade Ghostbusters game. Oh man, that's I taking wanna, it way I back. Want, you know, I want a, a next gen game, and you know, again, like. Not resting on their laws, not just having like Mario Kart. I want to see a next gen Super Off Road. Wow! Yeah, Super Off Road would be cool. I think, but but that's what I mean. Like like, there's so many different ways you can go with that. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, but when, like right now, we're digging into a lot of titles, and Nintendo doesn't even need to do much. Even if they say we're gonna release, um, you know, and maybe a next gen Altered Beast. Or maybe due to their relationship with Sega, they lock up an exclusive right to release a new Streets of Rage. Draw hand drawn, you know, done like um what the hell is that? like Muramasa and the Demon Blade. That would be kinda crazy. You know what I mean? But that's the kind of but stuff I'm talking a, about. Even a next gen final fight that doesn't suck. Yeah, but the problem with Final Fight is Capcom's gonna want that multi platform, you know, and that's and that's fine. If you were gonna do, if I'll be honest, if I were gonna do uh, a next gen Final Fight, I would actually use Sleeping Dogs as the as the as the basis. Because think about it, you're a cop, you can kind of bend the rules, and you can either be Hagar, Cody, or Guy, and you go through the city trying to clean up Metro City. You do different missions. And then obviously you fight the the bosses at the end, but dude, that would be legit open world final fight. You know, I mean, I'm looking at a list of Nintendo of NES games right now. Like, it's so damn long. It break it breaks your heart, and right? You look at it. Hey, I got one, and, and, and we'll wrap it up with this. Do you remember that that uh, fighting game on Nintendo 64 that you can kind of knock the guy off the platform? Was it Fighter's Destiny? I believe that was the name. There, there were not too many 
fighting games when he was 54. And, of course, the one I remember most is Killer Instinct. Yeah, which allegedly we may see. They need a, a Goonies 3. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like we those games, like Fighter's Destiny, it was their IP. Have a little fun with it. Put it out there. And a lot of these companies are defunct now. I mean, it wouldn't kill you to use the name. I mean, right? Kill you. Listen, I'm not telling. Uh, you, you, I mean, here's one. How? Oh well, isn't it owned? Doesn't Microsoft own this? I was going to say a new Cruise in USA. Cruise in USA is Nintendo's. It is Nintendo's? I thought it was Rare's, wasn't it? No? Uh, Am I, I don't wrong? I think that was a Rare title. Killer Instinct was Rare's. I kind of remember seeing the, the R-Flash, unless it, unless it was just one of those machines that had, you know, where they had the titles in it, like the old Neo Geo ones. But yeah, dude, like cruising USA just to break up the monotony of Mario Kart. You got the online, use the shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the box art for cruising USA. There is no real logo okay. on that. All right, there you go. So yeah, I was, I was, I was incorrect. But um, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. But I figured I would it ask was you. Developed by Midway and Williams, which. They were deep in, in bed with Nintendo. There you go. Dude, yeah, why not? Cruising USA, maybe you get some licensed cars, maybe not. You know what I mean? You got the online. Break it up a little bit. Put some stuff out there. I think people would, would would appreciate, you know, a franchise like that. Even if you put the game out and you put it out for, you know, 25 bucks and you don't spend a lot of money to make it, at least it fills in the time, you know? Yeah. And it's like that. That's what you mean. It's like games would like come out just about every day for the NES, right? And for the Super NES, it's like you need you need more games to come out that people at least I, I would say at least twenty five percent of the gamer population would have interest in each game. Cause right. We don't have that right now with Nintendo. No, I I, I understand and. And that's why I wanted to pose that question because whatever we 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 discussed Nintendo. Seconds. For those of you listening on the Blog Talk Radio feed, that feed will go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, as the English lady just said. 90 seconds. You can continue listening live via Mixler, or you can listen and watch and also chat by hitting up mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. Um. She's probably going to say uh, 60 seconds in a moment. Um, as I was saying, the, the, the idea is... 60 we, seconds. There you go, 60 seconds. Uh, once again, the Blog Talk Radio feed will go off air in 60 seconds. I'm sure she will say 10 seconds momentarily as well. You can continue watching, listening, and chatting at mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv. Otherwise, get the archive of the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. All right, so... When we get into this is why this is why one of the reasons why we got to split the show and do it twice a week, uh, you know, because like Nintendo, there's so many things and so, and so many discussions that can be had, whether it's relating to titles we'd like to see strategies we'd like them to utilize or even business models that we feel are lacking. Nintendo poses and creates such conversation that Nintendo could probably have its Ten own seconds. Nintendo could probably have its own segment 
with us just talking about the highs and lows and what we'd like to see. So this is why I brought it up. I think each 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 company, based on what you said, has tremendous upside and they have a lot of opportunities to make a dent this holiday season. But it's a, it's going to be an uphill battle, and people are they're becoming a little bit not stringent or um, they're becoming more dedicated to getting maximum value for what they purchase. And this is no no more apparent than you know smartwatches. Which, which is, I, I'm using it as an example because when everybody saw smartwatches were coming out, everybody was like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's universal, it's amazing. It's, and now that people have been playing with them, it's like, yeah, they're all right, <laughs> you know? Because they the novelty wore off. And this is what's happening with next-gen consoles. Once people get one or two games, things are quiet. You need to consistently generate a buzz to where, you know, these games are these games and these titles are pop culture. I mean, Rockstar did that with GTA. Everywhere, everybody knows GTA. From young people to old people, from mainstream media to new media, everybody knows GTA. As soon as you say those three letters, everybody knows what to expect. And I think each company needs that. Each company needs to have their own GTA, you know, their own pop culture phenomenon. I mean, Nintendo has it with their mascots, but they need it with their IPs and with their hardware. And that's part of why Capcom is remaking Resident Evil 1 with, like, the newer graphics, because that's, that's like, their their pop culture. Right. They, it's like they're, they're, they're resting on their laurels, but it, the thing is that pretty graphics get people in the door. Yep. But it's the good gameplay that makes them sit down instead of walking back out. Getting them in the door, I, I, I like the analogy you use. Getting them in the door is is part one, and keeping them engaged is part two. I definitely feel that there's there's a, a an upside to the pretty graphics with regards to getting people invested in your IP, but then it's a matter of keeping them. Looking pretty doesn't mean shit if the gameplay is horrible and the stories are garbage, you know? Yeah. There you have it's it. Like, that's why I'm more excited for Dying Light than I am for Dead Island 2. One, because I haven't actually seen Dead Island 2 in action. Right. But to me, Dying Light is the actual Dead Island 2 because Dying Light is the game made by Techland, which is the developer that made Dead Island and Dead Island Ripside. Right. And Dead Island 2 is not being made by that group. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, you know, that that's that's something hopefully when, with Gamescom around the corner, we'll get some information about that. And, you know, Techland has has uh, they've taken a liking to us. So we'll see how it unfolds. They released a video yesterday, which, you know, Thursday. And what I, I thought was going to be a one player game has four player co-op. So I'm very happy to hear that. And unlike that, Island, which had four dedicated characters. You create your character in Dying Light. Right. And there's tons of different, you know, face skins and, and outfits to choose from. Okay. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, that actually uh, brings the gaming segment to a close. You're welcome to stick around to uh, Plow Through Entertainment, or you can uh, dial back in if you choose. Your call. Let's stick around. All right. 
Let's get uh let's get into the the week's entertainment news. There is quite a bit to discuss. My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Get your favorite pop culture gear for all your favorite superhero IPs as well as your favorite sci-fi IPs as well, including... Ugh, what a, what a shitty live read that was. Including Guardians of the Galaxy, Transformers, and any of your favorite Marvel heroes, DC heroes, and Marvel and DC villains as well. Use our special promo code 14RADIO to save 14% off your order courtesy of superhero stuff and of course us here at my take radio all right so let's get the ball rolling with a subject that we were just discussing and that was uh one of slick's favorite games dead island which originally was scheduled to get a film adaptation in 2011 and it kind of fell by by the you know it kind of fell by the wayside well it looks like we may be revisiting that and we may be getting an opportunity to see Dead Island on the big screen. Um, as of right now, it looks like it's going to be Occupant Entertainment and Deep Silver that are going to be working together to bring Dead Island to the big screen. Slick, where do you stand with that? Are you are you optimistic? Are you are you happy to see that the developers involved in getting the ga- in in turning the game into a film? Where do you stand? I want to know more about it and. I mean, if they're going to follow the storyline of the game, then, then they need to get a big black dude to play Sam to and perform Who Do You Voodoo Bitch? <laughs> because it doesn't matter how bad the movie is, if that happens, I guarantee you it will be a cult hit. Fair enough. Hopefully, hopefully it's a cult hit in a good way and not in a, in a House of the Dead sort of way. <laughs> And settle for culture in a flashback sort of way. I, I, can, I can take that. Fair enough. So, a couple of months back, we ran into a situation, which I'm sure you remember, where we had two different studios putting out two different interpretations of Snow White. Um, it seems that we're running into that again, and this time it's going to be two versions of The Jungle Book. Uh, Walt Disney's going to put out a live-action version of The Jungle Book right now, uh with some of the voice talent that I'm about to name, uh, John Favreau will be directing it, and one of the main characters, the character of Baloo, will be voiced by Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray will be joining Kist- uh, Christopher Walken, who's voicing King Louie. Giancarlo Esposito is going to be voicing Aquila. Lupita Nyong'o is going to be voicing Raksha. Ben Kingsley is going to be voicing Bagheera, and Idris Elba will be voicing Shere Khan. Scarlett Johansson will do the voice of Ka, and um, newcomer Neil Sethi will be uh, playing the role of Mowgli. In addition to that, there's going to be, of course, um, a version of the Jungle Book put out by Warner Brothers as well. Uh, this one's going to be directed by Andy Serkis. So we got two versions of the Jungle Book. Like anything else, we've always said, out of two, two will enter, one shall leave. We saw what happened with Snow White. We're seeing it happening with the Jungle Book as well. I mean, considering how successful they were with Maleficent, 
Um, do you think Disney's found the new niche for live action uh, interpretations of their classic animated films? Well, it's it's it, it, sorry. We're, we're gonna have to wait and see because the Leficent worked. We'll have to see if this worked. I'm not as much as I love Bill Murray. I'm not looking forward to seeing him voice Baloo because his voice is more. It's, it's a little bit high pitched, and it's definitely not. I, I can't see Baloo with that voice. Right, I agree. Lou has a much deeper voice, like a like a, a old black dude voice kind of voice. He has a like like, a, like Red Fox. Sort of, yeah. Acting voice for a white dude, but I mean, I just can't see Bill Murray pulling that off and making it. You know, I can't believe I'm saying it's believable. Well, here's here's the funny thing. Uh, good wordplay. Um, the the funny thing was, I felt the same way about Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon, and he fucking surprised me. So I can't even say, oh, Bill Murray's gonna suck, because I said Bradley Cooper was gonna suck, and he was surprisingly good. So I will reserve judgment. I'm not saying he's gonna suck because Bill Murray right. has the personality and the talent to pull off balloon character wise. Right, but it's not I what just you'd mean expect. The voice itself. Right, and 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 I can understand that. I think we're we're in a very interesting time where you know these these Disney films they're going to try their hardest to to squeeze a little bit more. They're going to squeeze a little more life out of them. I wouldn't be shocked if we get a live action Aladdin at some point with a you know a CGI genie. Yeah, who's going to be Yago? <laughs> Well, fuck it, Iago. I forgot the name of Jasmine's tiger. Oh, um, Raja. Yeah, but see, those those you can do those you can do with CGI. You know, that's I mean, you know, uh, Life of Pi was a great example of that with with the tiger. But I you can you can do live action for most of the stuff. I would still make Iago. Uh, I would make Iago a real parrot and just have him voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. Still, it's not like he's voicing the Aflac duck anymore. Give that motherfucker a job. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see anyone else pulling off y- uh, Yago other than Gilbert Gaffrey. Yeah, it's it's impossible. Like, he it killed is. it in the TV show. Like, honestly, I love that show, and I pretty much loved all the characters, but it was Yago, like, every episode, selling that shit. Yeah, but that's but that's one of those things. He's probably still collecting royalties on that and laughing at everybody about it too, because that shit is still in syndication. But I mean, like I said, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh, turn of events as two Jungle Book movies are scheduled to hit the big screen. So, switching gears, I want to talk a little bit about box office this weekend. Of course, Guardians of the Galaxy racked up. Um. A lot of a lot of records being broken. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy opened with thirty-seven point eight million dollars, which gives it the third highest opening day of the year, behind Godzilla and Transformers: Age of Extinction. Um, it earned eleven point two million dollars on Thursday night. Now the crazy thing is, Guardians of the Galaxy destroyed their box office expectations by earning ninety-four million dollars. Uh, Lucy drops to number two. Get On Up came in at number three, and Hercules got knocked off by James Brown 
and sent tumbling to number four. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was five. Planes Fire and Rescue was six. The Purge Anarchy was seven. Sex Tape was eight. Uh, and So It Goes was number nine. And uh, A Most Wanted Man was number ten. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy probably may stay number one if Ninja Turtles comes out as aggressive as, it, as it's been said. It's going to come out. It may take no, the number two spot. But I'm going to be honest right now and say that I don't see the Ninja Turtles dethroning Guardians of the Galaxy. I know people that have seen this film, I kid you not, already four times. And it's only been out a full week as of today, as of Friday. So what does that tell you? So you people really are enjoying Phase 2. I I agree with you. So if Guardians of the Galaxy weren't coming out till like the end of August, right, or like till September, or if it were already out of theaters, Ninja Turtles would be number one. But I believe the best thing that Michael Bay can hold for is the number two spot. Well, the one thing I'm gonna say about Guardians of the Galaxy, without you know, I I mean, I recommend you guys read my review, but the fact that Marvel, if Marvel creates a billion dollar film on the, on the same vein as the Avengers with a cast of heroes that are unknown outside of the, out of the mainstream comic universe, then you know that Marvel's just going to go full bore cranking out different movies with different characters. Because that is yeah, a huge they, testament. The Guardians of the Galaxy can do as well. They could sell Ant-Man. See, Ant-Man is a very, very unique, uh, unique situation, and I and I still stand by the fact that Ant-Man will probably want to will be one of their first films that doesn't do as monumental in the box office as their other films. And I say this not because of the character, but because the character's rogues gallery and just overall story is intertwined with the Avengers. He can I don't feel he's a character that can stand alone like uh, like Daredevil or the Punisher, or Power Man and Iron Fist, or, you know what I mean? Like, if we start going into those more niche characters, like, I, I feel, and this is crazy because I read w- one of his books recently, I'd rather watch a movie about fucking Moon Knight than watch an Ant-Man movie. Yeah, that's to agree with you on that. You know what I mean? And that's the issue. The issue isn't the fact that Marvel is putting out these these films and they're all good. It's the fact that Certain characters just don't maintain the same dynamic on their own. See, like, everybody everybody talks about Blade, and Blade's uh, downfall came by adding more characters to Blade. The Blade movies were good with just Wesley Snipes. The minute they tried to introduce, um, y- you know, a-, a faction of individuals to help him, it just it just didn't work. You know, the, the-, the Darkstalkers group... While it is effective and it is part of the Blade universe, there's there, there's a better way to introduce it than making them a secondary focal point, which inadvertently knocked Wesley Snipes into the background. Like you know how crazy it was that Ryan Reynolds pretty much stole the movie out from under Wesley Snipes, and it was his movie. Yeah, but when you're looking at a char- when you're looking at a character like Blade. You have to keep the narrative centered on the main on Blade because that's you know that's what you're selling, and that's the problem with a guy like Ant Man. Ant Man's narrative is tied into 
the Avengers. Every aspect of his narrative is tied into the Avengers. Whether people want to admit it or not, that's the way it is. I agree. But, you know, the, the way they're looking at it, if Guardians really does go into that territory, it's going to be insane. Like I said, I saw the movie. Uh, it was tremendous. Uh, the soundtrack has been getting constant airplay because a lot of it was just, uh, um, you know, flashbacks to when I was younger and music I heard growing up. So, you know, they, they did everything right with that film. And hopefully th- this, uh, this uh, trend of good luck with Marvel characters continues. I mean, I know that they're filming daredevil for netflix in the city and i've seen some stills of it and it looks promising we'll see how it goes i mean you know this is the one of marvel's first forays into you know netflix original programming so it's going to be interesting to watch hopefully that works too because marvel tv shows i mean the Evelyn agents of shield haven't haven't fared too well this is true, but Netflix uh, eliminates them from the confines of having to, uh, you know, go on a week to week. It's it's the same it's the same as a show like Orange Is the New Black or or any of these other Netflix shows that as soon as it's about getting that mainstream popularity and people still talking about it, you know. Well, just a daredevil show and like Treated like something that would be on HBO, but it would definitely be talked about. There you go. Well, here's here's something that that and, and this probably will get a, a little a little bold rage out of you. So you know the raid, and you know the raid too, and you know that they are pretty much the gold standard of action films. I don't care what the fuck you're watching. Nothing has come along yet from the action genre. Not superheroes. Not I mean action, hardcore action films that can measure up to the raid in terms of fight choreography and just action sequences as a whole. Obviously you can, you can, you know, you can cite the expendables and all that, but the expendables is all about the explosions and the camaraderie. The, the raid is about ass kickings and um, it looks like they want to create, get this a remake of the raid here with American actors. Okay, great. Now, What's the first thing that jumps out when you watch the raid? The fighting. Very good. So one of the one of the characters uh, in line for a role in the raid is Taylor Kitsch, aka John Carter. Yeah. I mean, I like the dude, but but exactly, there's no way he's fighting on par with the dude from Blade. The way I see it, if you're gonna do this movie and you want to do it with in in English with you know American actors, you know you you cast guys like Jason Statham, Gary Daniels, Scott Adkins, you know, real martial artists. You don't. You don't cast. You don't cast. They're not going to use real martial artists for their best fucking work. Well, because I, the raid. I'm going to say it as much as I love that movie. The raid has no story. Oh, dude, it's paper thin as fuck. But you know what it is. Fucking, what Joaquin ma- goes into a building, starts getting fucked up, and people just start dying left and right until the end of the movie. Right. That's the whole movie. 
Right, but There's that was no acting. But that was dread. Oh, a little bit more acting. There's a little bit of acting. A little bit. A little bit. But again, I mean, that's Dread did take from the raid. I, I yes. But but if you're all... doing the raid, acting is not necessary. Right, you but you gotta be able to fuck somebody up. This is true, but uh, with, with what I said with Dread borrowing from the raid, I say that because even though they borrowed very liberally from the raid, it was Carl Urban's work as Dread that really brought it together. In the case of doing an English language version of the raid, you're gonna want to use martial artists that can kind of tie a story together. This is why I use the guy like Jason Statham, you know, because I mean he plays the same guy in every fucking movie anyway. You know what I mean? Let's not kid ourselves. He plays the same brooding, balding guy that just fucks people up. That's it. It's not going to work. <laughs> well, on the flip side, since we were talking about The Expendables, it looks like Sylvester Stallone is going to do a female spinoff of The Expendables, and he is looking at uh, actresses such as Sigourney Weaver... Uh, who may be involved, and um, Mila Jovovich, and, and maybe they'll even throw Ronda Rousey back into that. Um, here's the funny thing with that. Uh, you can look at it and say, oh, you know, they're really going to go that route, but I've come to a conclusion with films like The Expendables that they're just guilty pleasure projects. You know, the what-ifs that we would talk about when we were kids, like, oh, you know, what if Bruce Lee fought Jackie Chan? Like, that's pretty much what it is. I think in terms of that, they might be going to the well one time too many, but again, it could work. I mean, but they really got to go back. Like, you need to really pick up some... I mean, Sigourney Weaver has done some badass roles, but she's more of a, you know, like an A-list. We need some B and C, but we need Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah, Cynthia Rothrock would work. Um, here's a good one. I would probably go Sigourney Weaver. I would go Gina Davis. I would go Cynthia Rothrock, definitely. Um, Gina Carano, Ronda Rousey. That's five. Um... Why Gina Davis? Long Kiss Goodnight, dude. Charlie Baltimore. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would, I would, I would probably use, I would probably use them. Um, I, I, I'd kind of use, and and th- this is just because I think she she was really good in Mission Impossible. I'd use Paula Patton. I liked her work in Mission Lucy Impossible. Lou? Lucy, you know what it is with Lucy Liu? You, uh, Lucy Liu is a no-brainer, but it's like, it almost feels like, hi, it's Jet Li with boobs, you know? <laughs> like, it's te- it's terrible, to, it's terrible, <laughs> it's terrible to say that, but it's like, you got your, you know, your, 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 your muscular character, you got your, your jack-of-all-trades character, you got your comedy character, so, um, Dark Helmet said Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, you need you need your your trademark Asian ass kicking character. You know, like that's the that's the easy one. She's like twice the size of Billy. There you go, <laughs> twice the size. I I'd probably you know who I'd probably cast. I I would I would probably go with Lucy Liu. 
I'd go with Uma Thurman. Um, obviously, her work in Kill Bill being the the measuring stick for that. Um, I'd I'd even go Daryl Hannah. I don't know if I go Jamie Lee Curtis, but she definitely has some badass roles. But I'd go with Jamie Lee Curtis if the movie was sponsored by Activia. What? <laughs> if the movie was sponsored by Activia, which is that yogurt, uh, that probiotic, she'd be shilling. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, I like I like what Stallone is doing. He he kind of wanted to make it look like the the Expendables uh, team was gets divided, or or that Sigourney like Sigourney Weaver would play his wife, or something like that. Like he kind of just said that playing around. But it's an interesting concept, like you know, like oh, you know, if if you're afraid if you're afraid of Barney Ross, you should be afraid of his wife, and just like really, why? What's she like? And then you know, you could kind of go that route, you know. Um, speaking of old action heroes, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of blew the lid off of the brand new Terminator reboot, uh, Terminator Genesis, which is of course misspelled. Uh, I, I believe it's G E N I S Y S Terminator Genesis. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, not only that, but he is also, you know what it is? I, 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 the intro, the, the plot sounds semi interesting, but you know what it is? The plot sound is semi interesting for, for the Terminator film with Sam Worthington and, uh, Christian Bale. And then you watched it and you were like, what the fuck did I just watch? Oh, and he's going to do another Conan. Arnold. I think they need to either give it a rest or get an all-new cast. Like, get a new Terminator. It's just the reliance on Arnold. They feel that Arnold sells it, so you know how it goes. I mean, Arnold sold it because, I mean, he had a freaking jaw that looked like he was a freaking robot anyway. Right. And his accent was so heavy back then that he sounded like a freaking robot. Right. But it's like, dude is, I mean, dude is so out of shape now, sadly, that you can't even use his real body. If, no, you can't. If he's not wearing clothes. And it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor. I mean, right. I, I'm not going to talk about his political career, but I, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. But dude is too old to be the Terminator. Well, he's not going to actually be the Terminator in this film. He's going to play allegedly the guy that Skynet based the Terminator on, like a friend of the Connor family. So he's not going to be the Terminator. There will be a new Terminator. Weird, right? <laughs> That's even more stupid. Yep, he's gonna play like the family friend that John Connor was like, I, I guess, grew up with or whatever. And then they're gonna say that, oh, you know, we're gonna base it off someone he trusts, and then that'll be that. Again, all speculation at this point. I, I don't know, dude. But while we're on the subject of reboots, they, um, there were some casting rumors regarding the reboot of Kickboxer, which they're gonna do. Um, they got a, a couple of actors which are officially confirmed. Um, George St. Pierre, Dave Batista, 
uh, Elaine Moosey, who's going to be playing uh, the main character. And um, the funny thing is that they're saying Dave Batista is going to be playing Tong Po. And I said to myself, after watching Batista in The Man with the Iron Fist, I can kind of see him saying, you bleed like Mei Ling. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny, the funny thing is that there's rumors that um, Scott Adkins, who I'm, who I'm a huge fan of, Maybe playing the brother of you know Van Damme's character, the guy that ends up in the wheelchair, and that Tony Ja may be playing the teacher that teaches um, you know the Kurt Sloan character in this new kickboxer film. I so mean, is I read. GSP gonna play Kurt Sloan? No, no, no. GSP is not playing Kurt Sloan. He's probably gonna play one of the guys that Sloan fights in the in the tournament. Um, Sloan is That's gonna be played. Sucks. Yeah, I know. He would be perfect as Van Damme. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, sounds like freaking Oh, it would be fantastic, but they're going to use this guy, Elaine Moosey. As far as I know, that's where they're going. But it's true. GSP should have been in the remake. Uh, Tong Po broke my brother's leg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is my shape up okay? Okay, my shape up. As long as GSP does frame for frame the drunk dance scene. <laughs> he needs to do that. <laughs> Just start dancing and shit. Oh, look if at my two step. Play Kurt Sloan. It wouldn't matter how bad this movie is. <laughs> Guys like you and me would eat that shit off the floor. Dude, I'm all about Batista. But if Batista needs to say the Mei Ling line, needs to say it. It's just like big ass Drax the Destroyer just saying, "You bleed like Mei Ling. <laughs> Mei Ling, good." <laughs> craziness but again the the casting of tony giant scott atkins right now is a rumor but still um the kickboxer remake is definitely starting to take shape um i'm sure this next bit of news will make you very happy uh sharknado was number one in in adults 18 to 49 and sharknado 3 happens july 2015 <laughs> Yeah. Is this one going to be in, like, the middle of the country? Dude, I finally watched it. Me and my wife watched it, and I didn't I didn't know whether to laugh or throw my shoe through the television. <laughs> like, that's the reaction. I'm just waiting for Bismarcky to win his Oscar for his award-winning role. Oh, it was amazing. Take whatever you need. You <laughs> can have whatever I need. <laughs> <laughs> that's it don't don't What's ever funny is <laughs> it seems like a sharknado in real life is a possibility now because they found a great white shark in new jersey and then like great white shark populations on the east coast are at a 20-year high oh geez. i saw this news report this morning i kid you not well as long as i don't have to look at tara reed with a fucking saw on her hand like ash from fucking evil dead we're all right. But, um... I would see Terry to a shark. There you go. So, it looks like, um, DC flinched in the battle of release dates. You guys remember a couple of weeks back, I said that DC was going to be releasing Batman versus Superman on the same day as Marvel was going to be releasing Captain America. Well, it seems that DC finally flinched in the game of chicken, and they moved away from their May 6, 2016 release date and instead went back 
and went to March 25th, 2016. I knew I knew somebody was going to flinch, dude, and it wasn't going to be Marvel cuz Marvel's Marvel's riding the the high wave right now. I um I can't say I'm surprised but they they better come out with it. Now they even more have to come out with like a, a kick-ass movie. There you go. Like it's like I, I, when I said the release date and everybody was like, yeah, somebody's going to move. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what's going to happen? The one that moves is going to be looked at like, wow, you flinched. Like if Marvel would have moved, you would have been like, wow, you're afraid DC is going to take it to you and take your lunch money. Like it, like DC moving it. It's like, oh, wow. You know, you guys want a month. You guys want March to yourselves, you know? Yeah, so they had a, a roster for Nine more as yet untitled DC movies. That is correct. You're flinching with Batman versus Superman. Are you even going to get to make these movies? That's exactly it, and I'm glad you said that because that's exactly it. It's like you flinched with the biggest IPs possible against the Captain. Don't get me wrong. Movie with the Trinity. Yep. And you flinched. Yep. Versus Captain America. I would. I wouldn't be even saying anything if it was against Avengers 2. Yep, or Spider-Man. But against this... Mm, I only... only Spider-Man. Well, I only say but, that because of flagship characters, you know, like like Spider-Man mainstream, you know, like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, those are the regulars, you know? Yeah. I got you. But it's true. It's like, it's like you flinched against the Captain. No disrespect to the Captain America movies because they're great, but... You know the the appeal of 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 a Batman Superman film is just at an all time high, but I, you know by by flinching so to speak, it's like you just wanted that you want March to yourselves. Now all they need is for something big to come out in March and forget it. Yeah, because I mean, even though it's called Batman Superman, it's literally the Trinity. Yep, that's exactly it. But um, they, they should be saying. Fuck Captain America. Yep, that's exactly it. But is it? You know, that's that's how it works. I will I will say this. Um, the 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 crazy thing is that they they flinched with that. Guardians is on track. Everybody's saying that if Guardians crosses the billion dollar mark, you know, DC's gonna gonna need to step their game up. Um, somebody said that they should get ready to put out that Hit Monkey movie, but obviously that people were saying that in jest. But I'll say this, when it comes to these films, it's it's nice that they're being put out, but you don't want to oversaturate either. Like, I think part of the reason why these films do so well is because the anticipation of the film gets tempered because it gets real quiet for a couple of months, and then it's just nonstop. Because remember, with Guardians, we had a trailer here, a trailer there, a trailer here, a trailer there, and then it just it just fucking snowballed. To where people wanted to see this movie so bad, and then word of mouth was incredible as well. True. That's that's pretty much that, it. That's exactly why I'm saying that Ninja Turtles can at best hold for number two. Yep. Because everybody in social media is talking about Guardians of the Galaxy right now, and. You know, it was latest today. Yep. And people were like, 
Yeah, I might check out Turtles. Yeah, I'll check. I'll be checking out Turtles on Saturday. No, I mean, like, when I say, what I mean is, like, people are still excited about Guardians of the Galaxy as if it were last Friday and the movie's coming out right. in eight hours. Absolutely. Even though the movie's been out for a week, and when it comes to Turtles, they're like, yeah, I might check it out this weekend. There you I might go. check it out next week. Well, hey, you nobody's know. On, like, nobody's, like, hyped like they are for Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Nobody's running around shouting California. People nope. are still saying, I am group. That's right. Well, I, you know what the you know what the thing is, and, and I'm I'm glad we brought this parallel to the forefront because it'll help us close out the movie segment. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy not only succeeded in establishing a cosmic universe for Marvel, but it also allowed Marvel to go outside of their semi-serious films. Like they kind of started doing that with Iron Man, but they really took it there. Like a lot of people said, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is Marvel's Star Wars equivalent. And that's an interesting way of looking at it, but I felt watching Guardians of the Galaxy that they that it was more akin to um, the Fifth Element than Star Wars, because you know it had a lot of comedy, it had a lot of uh, serious overtones. I, I mean, you know, there was a lot of depressing shit in the movie, but it was depressing in a way that still made you feel good when certain things got resolved. You know. You know what I was kind of, I mean, from the, the prequel, I obviously haven't seen it yet. I, I think I'm going to go check it out tomorrow. But, um, the Guardians of the Galaxy makes me think of. Shoot. Remember Ice Pirate? Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember it. Loose, uh, li- not, Loose not. a bunch of degenerates running around. Right. Those old school ensemble Sinbad movies that they used to give. Yeah, remember that it was you know it was like Sinbad and the chick who was a thief and the magician and you know the big the big dude that that wielded some sort of crazy weapon. It's the same kind of a deal. Like it was that type of a film, dude, and it just brought out such a like I said, like like this was a film that I walked out of the theater and people were walking out. People were happy. They were smiling. You know, lines from the movie they were reciting. People, you know. Uh, singing the songs. I, I mean, uh, dude, I, I wake up. I wake up to get ready for work, and that soundtrack is playing because it it reaches it reaches you that way, you know. But you know that goes into a separate tangent. To to wrap things up, and the reason I bring up the turtles, and um, you know, I'm glad you brought them up as well is because Michael Bay can sit back and say that Transformers Age of Extinction has passed the $1 billion mark in the global box office. Now, the reason I wanted to share this bit of news with you he, with you on the show this week is because for as much as people hate, dislike, or loathe anything Michael Bay does, the motherfucker is sitting on top of a billion-dollar franchises without even blinking. How insane is that? Absolutely, any any like, any billion dollar any billion dollar film in 2014 deserves an asterisk, much like 
uh, any of the baseball players that were accused of using steroids because the steroids in this case are IMAX and RPX ticket sales. Simple as that. You know, we're talking we're talking a billion dollar franchise um, with $242 million from the North American side of things and $300 million from China alone. How insane is that? Pretty damn insane. There you go. And the, and this is why, like, you know, I, I, I look at these films, and, and I've said this to you before, as just existing in their own parallel universe. And you know what that universe is? The, the dollar bill universe. <laughs> That's it. It's a crazy thing. It's like... It's like, especially since, you know, at least in this country, we're, we're still in a quote-unquote recession. Right. But people went out to, and paid exorbitant prices for moving tickets to concessions. Yep, absolutely. I'm guilty of it. I've gone more to the movies now in the last couple of years than I have during my entire 20s. I'll be honest. Partly because it's work, but also because it's, you know, there's just, the uh, I'm a fan of the experience. Like certain movies you just have to experience that way. I'm kind of, I mean, and I guess that's why I mean, this is Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I can't really think of a movie this year, this year. Like last year, definitely, but this year that I really had an experience. I mean, I think the closest I've come so far would probably be Godzilla. Okay. So, yeah, definitely need to check out Guardians. You, you, you should because you'll appreciate a lot of the humor. That's all well, I... Of course, the Star Wars is an asshole. Hey, there you go. That's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. But, like I said, um, you know, I'll let you reserve judgment until you see it, but I'll definitely be checking out Turtles... Uh, this weekend and uh, be on the lookout for a review for it. Uh, other than that, that actually wraps up the entertainment segment for this week, unless there's anything you wanted to add. No, I'm good, man. All right, my friend. So uh, let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 238 for Thursday, uh, August 7th, 2014. Uh, you can keep up with myself and Slick. You can follow me on Twitter at MyTakeRadio. You can follow Slick at MTRSlick. As always, you can participate in conversation on our Facebook fan page. Follow our boards on Pinterest. Add us to your circles on Google+. And if you want the complete MyTakeRadio experience, get the official MyTakeRadio app. It retails for $1.99 uh, for Amazon, iOS, and Windows Mobile. For uh, Excuse me, for Android, which is available on Amazon, uh, in the Amazon Android Marketplace for iOS via iTunes and for Windows Mobile via the Windows Marketplace as well. If you want to get archived shows, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you're getting the shows from iTunes, please take a moment and review the show. We would really appreciate it. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next week. Thanks for everything. There you go. We got the big... Uh, the big announcement next week, which I am looking forward to. Uh, but until then, I'm out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.
All right, outro this week. We're going to go out with a little bit of OC Remix, and I think we're going to go out with Castlevania's Castlemania, and the artist is Am I Evil? You can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org.